Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by uh, a crew of parents calling all parents. Matthew, how are you? I am very well, thank you. I've just come back from a family breakaway, and this is my happy face. Okay. Uh, Andrew. Yo, yo, what's up? Hey, kids. Okay, um, another questionable introduction. And Teddy. Hello, everyone. I can't believe that Teddy is the most normal so far. Um, all of these people are here Stay because all of these people are parents. Uh, and I had on invite a couple other people, uh, one of which was a parent Christian, whom I very much respect, but I'm not even going to mention his name because he didn't show up. Take that, Russell. Uh, wait a minute. Edit. Um, and uh, also Brian with a Y. I don't feel like he's stabbed me in the back by not showing up and leaving me to figure out what I'm going to do with this show by myself without any notice. I don't feel like that at all. We're good, buddy. Don't you worry about it. Um, so what we have are these three extremely qualified people and me. And I got to tell you, audience, I came about as close as I will ever come and not do it to recusing myself from this podcast altogether. Uh, if we had the full crew, when I first came <laughs> devise the show, I asked David Russell if he would moderate it uh, because I didn't even want to be on it. Uh, why don't I want to be on it? Because I'm not a parent. Uh, and I didn't want to do this show uh, with someone who wasn't a parent because I think the subject is too important. That said, there is a perspective that I uh, will offer. Uh, so uh, I almost think that this is podcast malpractice for me to be on the show, but uh, I'm going to do it. Also, I have been a foster parent once upon a time, and so I guess that gives me entrance into the show. But uh, without much further ado, uh, I want to go ahead and jump right into the topic of parenting. You'll notice that there are no cute little titles uh, when you read the blog post. It's just parenting um, because enough said. Uh, so before I jump in, does anyone have anything they would like to say? Any thoughts bubbling at the top of your mind before we get to the conversation proper? Anything like an opening idea that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I'll jump in with, with something uh, uh, very quickly. There was um, back away, back a while when I was, when I was still a Christian and uh, a pastor who I respected greatly. Uh, did a church service and he preached about parenting and I think one of the I'm, I was going to say throwaway comments it wasn't really a throwaway comment but it was an incidental comment it said if you want to learn about yourself become a parent and I think there's a lot of truth in, in that little nugget but the thing that I want to build on from that is becoming a parent changes you and it changes you in ways that are unpredictable and unexpected Nobody becomes a parent knowing what that is going to do to them or the effect that that is going to do to them. And there are psychological things 
that change in you as part of this responsibility of becoming a parent. And I know some people like to connect, make a religious connection on that. I obviously deny that there's any religious connection to that. But and some of these things are unexpected and we have zero control over them. And just to follow it on with an example, for me personally, becoming a parent meant I was no longer able to read about crimes against children. It's a very simple, and I know I'm not unique in that specific effect. Before I became a parent, I could read a newspaper article and read about a horror that a toddler might have gone through as part of uh, any kind of experience. And it wouldn't deeply affect me. Obviously, I would be concerned and I would be, uh, and, and it would affect me in the same way as any murder or, or any other bad news story would. But becoming a parent meant that reading that kind of article became viscerally painful for me because I immediately projected my own child into that position. And that mental act became so excruciatingly painful. I could no longer read news articles that involved crimes against children. I could no longer watch the news which involved crimes against children because of that projection. And, and, that, and that was a completely unexpected experience to me. And I know, again, I know I'm not unique on that. So I just like to lay that out on front. I think everything from, from, because from that moment, that affects all your decisions that you make about your child, you make about other people's child. And so I think that just sets the scene for your entire life as a parent after you've had that kind of change in, in mindset. Andrew, I know that you're not going to let your uh, co-host outdo you with a statement. <laughs> And so I am going to call on you next. So Matthew's uh, Matthew's absolutely right. Those uh, those sorts of news stories um, uh, they hit far too close to home these days. So I'm going to change the tone a bit because this could get maudlin way too early, and and a parenting conversation should at least go seven or eight minutes before maudlin sets in. Well, so maybe you time. should go after me because I have a rather maudlin <laughs> statement too. <laughs> so well, try to let me just try to lighten the lighten the mood. So last night, uh, I was I was watching a mixed doubles Olympic match between a Dutch team and. Uh, and a team from Japan, and uh, and it and it was a great uh, it was a great match, right? So you got these mixed doubles. Uh, uh, the teams are very energetic. Um, the trouble is, it was Olympic badminton. I, I kid you, I kid you not. It's I Olympic badminton. badminton. So so here's what I want to know: uh, <laughs> if you're a parent and and your child makes it to the Olympics, right? And and they're their their lifetime goal has been to play badminton in, in, in the Olympics. When they bring their gold medal home, do you hang it on the refrigerator before <laughs> you put it in the scrapbook, or, or do you put it do you put it in their scrapbook right along with their Scooby Doo lunchbox? Because badminton should not be an Olympic sport. I, for okay. one, am glad that badminton has finally gotten the recognition it deserves. Uh, look, it was, it was a great game. Teddy, it's uh, it's up to you. Uh, I can't hear you, Teddy. You're muted. I was going to say, can, 
can I just say that's the one sport I've always been really good at because there's so much reaction time with that little yeah, birdie. Right. It's the, I could I could it's play badminton a little bit. I like bit. tennis. I mean, you've got all that reaction time. I mean, you you're can just playing kind of, it wrong if you think you've got that much time to respond to it. Maybe I am, but I like how I play. <laughs> I, I get that rally. I, I kind of have Teddy's rules. Same thing with <laughs> you can have the ball bounce more than once and it can come to me instead of me going to it. It's well, fine you know, you're talking you're talking to a person who plays volleyball with a beach ball. The yes. bigger the better. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm with you, Teddy. <laughs> I, I just seriously, a shuttlecock. Look, that's such a cool name. A it's such a cool name. Shuttlecock. I'm not even gonna you know what? It just satisfies all types of people, whatever your mindset is. It's badminton. Bad mitten for those who are bad cock. to the bone. <laughs> Teddy, did you have a the puns have, uh, just keep gone going there? That's why I, I'm glad badminton is an, an Olympic sport. I feel <clears> that we need a pronunciation lesson here. It's badminton. No, it's got a t no. t in it. It's got a t that you actually pronounce and enunciate. It's, it's duh. It's it's actually isn't it badminton? No, it's badminton. 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 Yeah, you know, it's like internet. Is that, is that like Bad aluminum? Badminton. 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 You guys, you you guys are just adding syllables to things randomly at this point. Look, look, um, they program with an E on the end. Like Britain. You don't say Britain. 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 No, we say Badminton. Britain. 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 Um, Britain. So, Teddy, save us oh, with this, something this is useful get about ugly very, very quickly. If you guys Just, don't pull your shit together, I tell you, <laughs> it's going to be that kind of show. Um, this is this is what happens when smack you smack your heads together, like my parents used to say. Teddy, you have seven more seconds. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to make my uh, opening statement and move on with the show. Uh, well, I I think parenting is one of those things where you know, as you said in your write up. Uh, anybody can be a parent, but uh, there's such a, a responsibility to, to parenting. And I don't know that everybody takes it as seriously as they should. And, um, and I think sometimes people feel a societal pressure to become parents. And I don't think society should pressure people to become parents because to do parenting properly, it's hard. You're giving up a lot of your time and effort and money, and there's a lot of sacrifice and you need to be prepared to sacrifice. And I see little kids having babies and they have no idea sometimes, you know, what they're getting into. And some of them want to have um, babies at a young age and they have no idea um, what kind of demands that is going to take on their time if they are actually going to be the one parenting as opposed to just giving their kid off to the grandparent to, to raise. And so um, I think that, that sometimes people you know, need to see parenting is not so much 
only the the fun parts that accompany it, but also the um, the work and the duty. And a kid isn't just an accessory. It's um, a kid is the focus of your life, and everything revolves around the child. And, and if that's not the case, I mean, we're just about everything. I mean, but but that needs to be the central focus, I think, and uh, and, and the efforts um, going into that. But uh, a friend of mine. I remember many years ago, before I was a parent, she had said that being a parent will be your greatest joy and your greatest heartache. And that is because you put so much love into your child and it, it's just, it's, it's a natural thing. And, and parents that don't have that, that love, that's, that's unnatural. And, and sometimes that occurs, but, but that's an unnatural um, Thing. But anyway, uh, that's just <coughs> my two cents worth. So I'm going to, we're going to pick up the conversation, Teddy, mm -hmm. on, on your thought. Uh, I just want to say first, um, actually, just two little notes that are off topic. Uh, if I seem uncomfortable, it's not because of the subject matter. Oh, <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable too. Um, <clears throat> I've got a this cough again, which is uh, no good. And my house is full of bug spray because it's full of bugs. Um, and I happen to be stuck in it. And there's only one window I can open. So I've got fans on and such, but I'm, uh, I'm dying from, you know, the thing that I'm trying to kill bugs with. So <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of that and probably not a lot of me muting my mic. So apologies there. Uh, the second thing is, for those of you who are used to seeing uh, me with an eye patch and you haven't seen that for a while, I'll just explain it really quick. Um, I was going to screw with the audience for a while with that, but there may not be a while. So um, as you can uh, easily tell, uh, I have a very heavy nystagmus. My eyes float. Uh, float is a kindness to <laughs> what my eyes actually do. Uh, they dance drunkenly. Uh, uncontrollably. Now, I don't see it. So if you're wondering if things are always moving around for me, no, they're not. My brain uh, has learned to comp uh, compensate, though, so things are quite still <clears throat> for me, but they can be quite distracting for people who are talking to me, which is why I don't make eye contact. I literally can't <laughs> make eye contact, um, except for a few seconds at a time. So uh, the best thing I can do is to look at things intentionally with one eye when when i do that the other eye just goes lazy and flops over to a side you see that happening um so that's something that i'm extremely self-conscious about <clears throat> but in these last few episodes of uh skeptic seekers i just haven't given enough of a damn uh to worry you. about it what's that good for you yeah, it's it's one of those things where I ask people to come on the show and, you know, I never I never tell people I have to turn on the camera. Uh, you know, people can feel, you know, turn it on or not turn it on. But I feel like I need to set an example. Um, if I'm going to do the show, do a video podcast, I should just do it and be who I am 
And um, so I assure you guys, I'm not drunk or high, which is what every doctor asks first when I go in there. You can't imagine how tiresome that can be. You go into a job interview and, um, you know, they're anyway. So that's a a couple of programming notes back to the parenting uh, conversation. Uh, There were a couple of revelations for me. Uh, First of all, foster parenting is slightly different from non-foster parenting. I describe foster parenting as parenting on crack. It's uh, it's hard because you're taking a child that you did not have from uh, the beginning and you're taking a child with a lot of issues, a lot of really deep, bad issues. And there really is no such thing as a child in foster care without issues. And some of them have really bad ones. They come from really bad situations. And so whatever you think you are as a parent, um, you're a better option than what a child and foster parent has right now. And so the state, as stringent as they are about uh, foster parenting, uh, they will practically accept anybody because you are better (laughs) than what they are coming from. And they just need you for a little while uh, to give that child some, some form of safety and stability while they find a permanent solution it's hard for the foster parent because foster what foster parents have to do is guard themselves against forming attachments so they have to they have to be parents but they can't form this kind of parental bond because it's not your child and the deal going in is that just when you've got things going and you feel like a family, someone comes and takes them away and puts them in a place that's worse than yours. And you've got to, you got to grin and bear it because that's the deal. Um, it's, it's very hard. So I, I learned some things about myself in that process. One of the things that I learned about myself is that I'm a shitty human being. Um, and I, and I don't say that for laughs. Uh, I thought that I was a slightly better person than I turned out to be. Um, I'm the kind of person where everyone uh, says, oh, you'd make such a great parent. How come you don't have kids? Um, I didn't necessarily have a good answer for that question at the time. But now that I've had the experience of being a parent for a short time, uh, when people tell me, man, you would make such a good parent. My desired reaction is just to look at them and say, shut the fuck up. Because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, I would not make a great parent. I've been there. I've done that. Yes, I, I did my job as a foster parent. But I learned where, all of, where almost all of my problems are. I learned it really fast really harshly and um so that that's one of the things that i learned about myself the other thing that i learned is that you know maybe maybe it's different with biological parents but not everyone has a parental instinct 
And what some people might suggest is, yeah, well, when the situation is upon you, you'll you'll have that parental instinct. Again, shut the fuck up. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's not true. There are plenty of parents, in fact, that uh, I know who have children that they gave birth to themselves, even mothers, who simply don't seem to have that that magical parental feeling that people always talk about. And And if you think that you know, you're going to get some kind of magical bond, you know, that's going to take you through this parenting process when you have kids. That is just not true. Uh, you, I've, I suspect that the people who have that already have it. They're born with it. It's a part of the human condition, but it's not true of all humans. And it doesn't matter what, what, you know, how cute your baby is or what the situation is, you're never going to feel that thing that parents are talking about, the special bond. And I can tell you as a foster parent for me, every day was work. And it was hard and it was a job. It was an unpaid job. I didn't resent it because I signed up for it, but I kept waiting for this thing that would, that would make me feel some kind of paternal instinct. And it never happened. Uh, I've got pictures of my um, foster kid uh, still that float up in my library every now and then. And it's hard for me to look at them because I, I feel so unworthy. Uh, I felt <clears throat> for, well, probably the first time in my life, uh, what people uh, know of as the imposter syndrome. Because here I'm playing the role of a parent, but I never felt it. And to be perfectly honest, when that time was over, all I felt was relief. And I'm one of the good guys. A lot of people walking around with kids feel the same way, that they don't get a chance to be relieved of that responsibility. And I feel, I feel a kind of a connection with bad parents because they probably either they didn't want kids and oops, or they thought they wanted kids for, for social reasons. They found out, you know what, this was a bad idea, but you don't get to have a do over, you know, and you, and you just got to live with it for the next 18 years at least. Uh, and so I got a, I got a sense of this job from the perspective of a person who was unqualified for it when he started and never became qualified for it through the process. And so where I kind of want the conversation to go next is for the group to share um, something kind of personal, which is why the hell did you become a parent? Why? Why? And, and in general, why do you think we do it as a species? I'll, I'll just start off and say, uh, I was married to someone at the time, um, not my current wife, this is not my <clears throat> my first uh, rodeo, but I was married to someone at the time who uh, couldn't have kids and they desperately w wanted to have kids. And I, I wanted that for them. And uh, we had been a talk talking about adoption and foster parenting, you know, since we met. Um, so, and also I guess there was enough of a push within me to think, well, you know, surely I could do this. I mean, idiots become parents. 
uh, I see them every day. <laughs> see them at church. They're they're really bad at it. I'm smarter than them. I could do this. Um, in other words, all all of the reasons for doing it were really bad for me. They were terrible, and I don't mind uh, admitting it. I'm a, I mean I'm ashamed of it, and I may not look ashamed, but I am. And since we're talking about this on the show, I will just acknowledge um, I did not have a good reason for wanting to do this. And I can't even claim that I had this strong biological urge for procreation or anything like that. So uh, I just want to pick up with um, Matt, who I bet had pretty good reasons. Uh, Why did you become a parent and why do you think people do it in general? I became a parent extremely reluctantly. My wife and I married very young in our early 20s and we waited pretty much 10 years before having our daughter. So easy maths, we're both now early to mid 30s when we had our daughter. And I think that's a more sensible route to take personally because we're older and wiser. I know some people take a slightly different uh, view that they in the 20s is better, you've got more energy. And when you're older and you can be looking after your grandchildren, you're relatively younger and you've, you can do a better job. I think both arguments work and I'm not really gonna say either one is better than the other. I think for me, this way worked better for, for us. But no, I was very happy to consider a married life without children. And um, so I was quite reluctantly encouraged uh, to have children or have the one child. And um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I absolutely adore my daughter. I wouldn't change anything to be without my daughter. And I would literally move heaven and hell for the benefit of my daughter. She is... To, call it, uh, to use the well overused phrase, the apple of my eye, I absolutely adore her. So don't mis- misinterpret or misunderstand anything what I said. I'd have been very happy to have been a childless uh, husband for, for the entirety of our marriage. Yeah, but things change, the, the desire to change. And sometimes in a marriage, you have to have conversations which are difficult, which are challenging. And sometimes, you know, one parent is more enthusiastic about being a parent than the other. But my mind changed and, you know, I got used to the idea of becoming a parent. And from the moment it became apparent we were having a daughter, I was very happy about it. Like I say, I absolutely adore. So my story is probably slightly different to what you were expecting, David. But um yeah, but I would just like to flag something. I don't know if we're going to go there in this conversation, so I'd just like to flag up something just in case we circle back to it later. I did get called selfish and other things for daring to be a Christian and be childless in excess of a couple of years into our marriage. And I would just like to say to any listeners of a religious persuasion, don't do that to newlyweds. Just don't. A second now. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I felt, um, I felt that too, uh, Matt, a little bit, but the reason it didn't sting for me so much is because I was selfish and, and I knew it going in. And so I was just kind of waiting for the thing that would make me less selfish. 
because you know it's the magic of parenthood and um now you're now you're magically not selfish anymore well that's not true but for someone whom it surely has worked like uh andrew uh why did you uh have a child why did anyone say yes to anyway why did you have a child um that was an unfair question just take that back um why yeah, did you have I a child so. and why do you think in general people people do this so when this is over, you and I will have a birds and bees talk about the yes part of this. <laughs> I've been looking forward to that because I, I never got that talk. <laughs> Want to have visuals? Um, Just point okay, me to a take, website. You, take me <laughs> you got me. So, so why did we have a child? Um, I think part of I think part of a couple's relationship when you live in a you live in a society like we have, we're we're all very social creatures, and um, you see other couples have children, and you see that their child is something like them. You see the you see the traits of the mother and the father uh, blended into this other being. And you see them raise that child and you see them do things that you think you can do that they do well. And you see things that you think they do that you can do better, or maybe even, and hopefully not very often, right, Teddy, but sometimes we see things that parents do wrong. And we want not only to do better for that child, but we think if we had a child of our own, we would do better at raising that child. And there, so there is, this, there is this drive that has some, some sense to it that says we want, we want to share something very intimate and personal. And I guarantee you there is nothing more intimate and personal than a child. And there's a desire to take the parts of you that you think are good. and pass them on with the best of your partner. And in, in some way, that's how we live forever. Why did I say yes? Uh, I, I only said yes to a biological child. We discussed, um, we discussed parenting, we discussed adopting. Uh, so most of the listeners know that I'm visually impaired. And um, I thought, like you, David, if I, if I adopt, if I foster, I'm going to have the problems that those other parents passed on. And if I'm going to have a child, then the child that I want it's one that has the problems that I know how to deal with. So had my daughter had the, the eye trouble that I had, she doesn't, doesn't, she's perfectly okay. But had she had, I wanted her to have the kinds of problems that I was prepared as a parent to deal with. And I can say, having fostered, I can say that uh, I feel differently about my biological daughter than I felt about my foster 
child that I still love dearly. But there is a difference. And whatever you think about fostering, it is very possible that you're, I don't know, not everyone has biological children and, and just love all of a sudden being a parent. I did. So why did I say yes? Um, because it's deeply personal. It's deeply intimate. We see things that we want to do better. Um, we want to share something with the other person that, uh, that frankly, there's only one way to share. And that's to have a child and give it a try. Is it hard? It is so hard. And I wouldn't change a thing. Sorry for the monologue. That's what I've got. Teddy, why'd you have kids? I mean, especially you. Um, I mean, the rest of us, um, we're we're underachievers. You, on the other hand, are a practicing attorney. And uh, this surely was your goal from, you know, uh, a long time ago. So why would you, with goals and uh, life and all that, want to mess it all up by having kids? Well, that's part of the reason why I waited. Uh, I was 38 when I uh, was pregnant and it was quite deliberate when uh, I decided to get pregnant. It was you know, no accident. And prior to that, I you know, was very, very careful to be sure I, I did not want any surprises. Um, and so, you know, I, one of the things that I learned early on from my parents is to learn from other people's experiences and learn from other people's mistakes, but also from their experiences and not that parenting is a mistake. I, I don't mean to imply that, but for example, when you hear your friends talking about how, oh gosh, you know, ever since I became a parent, I have no time for myself. My freedom is gone. Well, that tells you well, when you become a parent, you don't have the flexibility and the freedom that you used to have. So the message is if you still want that freedom, you might not want to be a parent. You know, it might be best if, if you, if you value being a good parent and you value having freedom, then the two really don't intersect very well. So uh, I took that lesson to heart and I, I waited until there was a, a time when I felt that that was a, a better chance. And, you know, being a female, there's that biological time clock that is ticking as Marissa Tomei so eloquently put in my cousin Vinny in the movie <laughs> with the foot stomping. Um, but uh, so, you know, females, we, we can't just wait forever. And so I was hitting the, the top end of the, the time clock. So it was kind of, well, you know, Fisher cut bait and I, I felt that I would regret not having a child if I did not. 
And the reason why I felt that I would regret it, I was not one of, I, I have friends who from the time they were little children, little girls, they just wanted to become moms. And I was not that little girl. I was not that little girl. I was not the little girl. I mean, I guess when I was really, really young, I had my dollies a little bit. I, I wasn't even much with dolls or toys. I was more with arts and crafts. But, um, but there's some girls that are just all about being a mother. And that's, that wasn't who I was. I was more about a career. Um, but I still have a mothering instinct and I've always had that. And I grew up in a family where there was such a tight bond between my parents and me and my extended family and me. My, my grandmother lived in the house with us. My, my uncle Ted, uh, is like a second father to me. My, my father died when I was 16. But even before my father died, my Uncle Ted was always very, very close in my life, like a second father just from, from early on. And so um, I always had such a tight bond with my family. And my Uncle Ted was my educator. He would frequently help me with my math homework, he would teach me how to play chess and parcheesi, and he would teach me how to play tennis. And he would talk to me, he was an engineer and then later on became a stockbroker and we'd be in the car taking me places and he would tell me about the stock market and teach me things. And, and it was just this incredible relationship and bond and my mom and I we, we had a different sort of relationship but equally as tight um hers was educating me in terms of just humanity um in different ways and and gen just the mother-daughter closeness and doing things and going places and I wanted to have that experience for myself with a child and so that was the the reason for wanting to have a child I didn't want to lose out on my experience to to be a teacher to my child and I've had the great privilege of um of doing that with with my son um and those have actually been some of the most beautiful times that I've had with my son where, you know, especially when he was younger, you know, teaching him things like his alphabet, the numbers, uh, how to read, math, math skills, things like that. Um, and there's just this, sometimes there's this amazing bond uh, between uh, parent in the teacher role in their child and as you watch them bloom and and there's there's something that is so amazing when you start to see them get it as they start understanding and for example as he starts 
understanding the math uh, and he's starting to memorize it, you start seeing him getting excited about it. And then, and then you see this enthusiasm and this, you know, and, and then, you know, oh, he's got it now. He's got mastery over it. And when you see that effervescence, there's just nothing more beautiful than that. And when you see them uh, just excel at something like that and, and, and children excel at different things and, and with, and with different things. And, um, and there's such great beauty in that. And all children are capable of, of different uh, types of excellence. And we as parents are able, if we work with our kids to, to draw out different types of excellence from our, our children when we work with them. And so um, that was the that was the reason why I, I wanted to have kids. Because I, I felt that if I didn't, that I would um, miss out on that experience. And I'm, I'm really glad. It, you know, it, it's hard work. It, it's not just uh, unicorns and rainbows. But in my experience, anything that's worth having is tends to be a lot of hard work there, there's there's no free lunch there's no free lunch you, you gotta you gotta pay for those good things and um and so you know to the what is it the ripest fruit is usually furthest out on the branch so you know that's, that's how it goes so i want uh, i might revisit some of that later um and Teddy, I know that um, you might, uh, there, there might be uh, a situation where you want to leave the show early. Uh, I do want to get to some theological bickering, but I'm saving that for last. <laughs> so um, I'm sure I'll probably be staying for that. If, too. <laughs> if anyone thinks that I can have a talk like this without some theological bickering you have not been paying attention over the last three years but uh, there are some things i want to make sure that we cover first before we devolve into madness all shows devolve into madness of course, enough times, so. <laughs> um we skeptics and seekers if it didn't <laughs> half you um <laughs> 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 It's an inside joke, people. Just don't <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, so, um, so I had a oh my god, uh, oh my god, what have I done? Moment in in parenting, and it happened fairly early on. And so I want to hear kind of some of your oh my god, what have I done? Moment. Did I <laughs> did I make a mistake, <laughs> uh, or you know, just something that happened out of left field that you were not expecting? Expecting, no one told you about it wasn't in any parenting book and um I, I get a feeling that you know parents uh you know people who are veterans of the parent club have these things that they purposely don't talk about so they can laugh at new parents uh when it happens <laughs> to them and so i will tell you about one such moment for me and um it was definitely an oh my god what have i gotten myself into moment uh, and I don't, I'm not sure I ever recovered from that, <laughs> actually, but um, we, um, we um, picked up our son, he's a, a three-year-old, um, 
and um, he, you know, he had various issues. He could talk a little, but not well. Um, a little bit. Um, you know, had um, you know bladder issues and things like that. So he's still wearing diapers and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, a great starter kid for the inexperienced. And uh, so we we go to McDonald's because, of course, as <laughs> a new parent, those golden arches. <laughs> They make so much sense at that point. <laughs> so um, that's where we went, um, got our Happy Meal. And uh, our, uh, our son, we'll, we'll call him uh, Ryan, just so that I can give him give a name here. Um, he, he's like, I got to go pee. And uh, I'm like, OK, the bathroom's that way. <laughs> this was, uh, <laughs> and, uh, my wife is uh, like, uh, no, <laughs> you have to take him <laughs> to the bathroom and you have to help him. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> so, okay, uh, well, how, how tough can this be? So I take him by the hand and... Uh, we go to the bathroom and I shove him toward the urinal, which of course he's too short for. And so we we have more problem. And I'm like, okay, all right, I, I see what I've got to do. I've got to pick you up. <laughs> all right, so I've got him hoisted and he's still not quite getting the job done. And so it's like, you know, you got to help. <laughs> well, so, I find myself helping him get his pants down, and now I've got my hand on his penis. His and I'm try I'm holding it with one hand, and I'm aiming him like a squirt gun with the <laughs> other hand. And I'm not doing a real good job, and I think if someone walks in here, I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> I'm going to go. This is it for me. This is how it ends. And uh, it was a very bad moment it did not work out well at all um no things didn't work well at all and so i just i got him down as quickly as i could and got his pants up and i realized wait a minute I've, i'm the one who's got to wash my hands <laughs> he didn't really do anything so <laughs> i uh i came out of that bathroom went back to the table and i've never been the same person since <laughs> Also, I have never taken him to a bathroom since it was it was just my wife. I, I just I can't do that. I don't I'm I'm so bad at that. There's no manual. I don't want to practice. That's not that's not my thing. So, Sitting options are available, you know. Yeah, no, I understand that. It was uh, it was just one of those moments where I, I realized, oh, this um, this parenting instinct is has not happened yet <laughs> they make stools for children dude i mean i don't <laughs> I, I, just, I don't i don't even want to talk about it i just i just it scarred me it scarred and i'm i'm sure he hasn't gotten over it yet either <laughs> so um but fortunately uh you know me holding ryan with one hand and using him as a super soaker with the other didn't <laughs> didn't land on anyone else. So um, 
anyway, that was a moment. Um, have either of you had a moment as a parent that no one warned you about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go for Andrew. Okay. All right. So last summer, uh, my daughter just turned one. Uh, she was she was an early walker. Um, she was walking at eight and a half months, and some of you have seen the videos. By a year old, she could she could run completely unassisted, perfectly perfectly competently. She didn't trip. She didn't fall. She's she very coordinated, uh, very coordinated child. Uh, and so we took her for the first time. Uh, uh, to a friend's house, they have a pool, and uh, we went over to cook out with them, and um, and we did all the right things. We we thought we thought we'd done all the right things. Uh, by the way, no children were injured in in this remainder <laughs> of this story. So so there's not a crown child at the end if you're if you're reaching for the pause button. So we 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 talk about how we're going to manage her at the pool long before we ever go. Uh, we, we have uh, a U.S. Coast Guard certified life vest for her. Um, we, we had a rule that uh, whichever one of us is watching her, if she has to be, uh, if we have to go do something, she has to be directly handed off to another adult. Another adult has to always be directly responsible for her. There's no such thing as general supervision at the pool, right? We, uh, and, and, we thought this was we, we thought this was completely adequate. We thought we really had this thing nailed down. Um, so we get to the pool, and we're we're hanging out on the patio, and and uh, for this for this brief period, Allison and I are both in the pool with the baby, and she's climbing up out of the shallow end and uh, going around this uh, going around this handrail that splits the stairs. So you can go in on the left or the right of this handrail. She'd climb up out of the pool, go around the handrail, and climb back in, uh, going back and forth between us. Well, and that was working great. So we're both in the pool taking care of the baby, and we think we have really nailed this thing down, right? We've, but we've got this parenting thing down like nobody else. And then our friend lit the barbecue grill. And the barbecue grill is on the patio. Not behind a fence, not behind a gate, not up on a deck, no, on the patio by the pool. No problem. The baby never leaves our side. Except this one time. Mom and dad are both in the pool. She climbs out, sees the barbecue grill, and takes off and, and takes off for that barbecue grill. No rhyme, no reason, no explanation, but she's got to investigate it. Unfortunately, it hadn't been lit very long. But she makes it to the barbecue grill and gets both hands on this on this lit uh, grill. Now, the lid was closed. Uh, so it's hot. It, it, uh, it causes her hands to be red. But that was a moment. It, it was a moment when you think, I've done everything as right as I can do it. We've talked about everything we can talk about. And we've got the plan in action where... Uh, you know, we've got things, we've got things under control and children will do things that completely confound your wildest expectations. And 
you know, had, had that grill been lit for another five or six minutes, right? Uh, she might have been burned quite badly. Unfortunately, she's a very coordinated little kid. She put her hands on the grill. It felt hot. She backed away. But there it was. And it was, it was a moment where for a few minutes, we thought we were really good parents. And there was this thing that we, part of her behavior that we just didn't account for. And, uh, you know, it, it was a learning lesson. We're, we're better now than we were then. But children will confound you. They will do things that you just don't expect. And um, no perfect parents. Yeah, it's, it's the moment uh, when you realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't have left the Ginsu knives on the counter. <laughs> well, it's, it's, right. it's a moment where you think this job is bigger than I thought. And it's, uh, I don't know, do either, do either of you, Teddy, Matthew, do you have them? You've had those experiences because you got kids. So you've had that kind of experience. Do you have words for that moment where you think, I'm doing this parenting thing pretty well, only to reach that, that almost catastrophic next moment. And I can't describe the mood change. I have no words. Yeah, <laughs> at multiple points uh, throughout my experience, I had one a uh, moment where we were at one of those uh, bring and buy places in a in a hall with sort of no doorman or no protection etc and we literally turned around for half a second and our toddling daughter had walked across the hall out the front door and by the time I'd realized she was no longer in the hall she was practically the other end of the car park and fortunately, another parent had seen her grabbed by the hand and assumed correctly that she belonged to somebody in the hall. And when I got to the front door, there was somebody else holding my daughter's hand, walking her back towards the front door. And you get those moments. And it, it can change a contented environment into an emotion of sheer and utter blind panic on, in, in the smallest smallest of moments and yes you and you're going to have more of those Andrew we've um as listeners uh, of, of Andrew's my podcast know my daughter is a teenager now uh, but we have a family tracking app so each member of the family knows where the others are and we we use it on a regular basis just to keep tabs on each other and just to check if I'm driving home my wife can see when she's expecting me home and it's useful for practical things like that and we'll use it occasionally if we're away out and away somewhere and my daughter wants to go somewhere on her own and we'll just say be at so-and-so place and such and such time but we'll check in occasionally just to make sure that she's okay and she's where we expect her to be but as it's the nature of these kinds of things relying on the gps network sometimes there'll just be a blip in the satellite uh, signal and it will for, very temporarily place a location a couple of miles away just out of a, a sheer technical anomaly. She's perfectly safe. She's where we expect her to be, but the GPS for a brief moment reports something completely different. And little moments like that, and we've had probably half a dozen of them now, 
they instigate exactly the same really uncomfortable feelings uh, of panic, especially if that blip happens to make it land uh, at a major intersection or, or road, because all the worst things go through your mind in that moment. And yeah, you have, you will have some more of those, Andrew. Just prepare yourself for them and <laughs> oh, well, I've had two what you're going this. to do. You, yeah, you know, I've had, it's I've had kids before this. It's, uh, yeah. And, and I've, the comfort that I take from that is that immediate reaction just goes to show how much you care about the job that you're doing. And I'm less concerned about people being perfect parents than I am about parents actually caring about the well-being of their offspring and caring about trying to do a good job. I think you can be a less than perfect parent, but actually try hard. And I think that is better than a parent, no matter how good they are, who just simply doesn't care. So I think that's the worst place to be, really. And it's those parents that bother and concern me more than anything else. Teddy, do you have any of uh, those moments where uh, the wheels came uh, completely off for you and you had a oh my goodness moment uh, or maybe you know one that you uh, don't mind sharing you probably have a lot of them so you might want to you know, just sift through and see if there's anything shareable in there <laughs> uh, they, the, the oh my goodness moment just kind of is just always there in that um, I suppose just from a personality perspective, I've, I've got a people pleasing mentality to where I always wanted to please my parents and just please people, make them happy and I mean, I'll butt heads with people. That's different, but, you know, in terms of debating, things like that. But I... I was just thinking, I I'd like to like, meet this people-pleasing Teddy. I uh, am. I am. Get her on the show sometime. So we're always in a debate context, but I am a people-pleaser. And um, it's a lot of times to my detriment. Um, but, uh, but, you know... Of my son, you know, he's, he's got the, you know, a hard head and, and is, is, you know, likes to test his parents. And so, uh, you know, that can be very challenging. And that is, you know, on a continuous uh, basis. But, you know, fortunately, um, as he is, has been maturing, that has been um, getting much better. And I uh, expect that with, with fur further uh, maturity that that will uh, get better too. Um, but it's just, it, I guess it's just a difference in, in personality. Uh, but, you know, I just, I guess I expected a little Teddy that, you know, would... <laughs> I was hoping for a little teddy. Like, I'm, I'm going but to not have a child as much as I'm biting. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, for... I just, I need to mute my mic for a while. <laughs> There's so many responses that come to mind that are not appropriate here. <laughs> it's like, mm. I mean, 
Okay. So um I wanna I wanna I wanna go to a place that's a little bit less comfortable. I wanna talk about um blame, um self-blame and uh real blame. I, I wanna talk about um or get some get some commentary on how much of what happens the kind of adult your child turns out to be how much of that is on you as a parent Uh, how much do you feel that it's on you um do, do you ever you know are you concerned with the direction that your kids are going do you blame yourself if they seem to be going in the wrong direction or is there is there a point to where you know kids are are independent human beings and they are even as kids and they're going to be who they are and the best you can do is offer them some guidance but you can't you can't make them a certain kind of person um so there's there's a couple of extremes there you know on the one extreme you don't have anything to do with who your kids turn out to be um they are their own persons and the other extreme is you have everything to do with how your kids turn out to be it seems like both extremes can make you crazy. And the one answer I won't accept is the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Screw that. Um, <laughs> it's not, it, I mean, it, it, well, I mean, that's not the answer, but the truth does. Okay, lie where's somewhere. the mute button? Muting Teddy. All right. Um, now, who else wants to be muted? Uh, before? <laughs> um, all right, I'll unmute you here, Teddy. I'll, I'll let you go first because there is um i still have you muted uh i think let's see the button right i don't think i can unmute you i can't <laughs> i really shouldn't have done that okay there you go all right <laughs> um you know so you were able to unmute yourself yes i was i exercise the godlike power of muting you and i want to think that that would stick let me try this again Apparently not. So All right. Now, can you unmute? Powers. Can you unmute yourself now? I've just you're, you're muted. All right. You see, that's sticking now. She can't. She doesn't even know she's muted, does she? She's. Yeah. Okay. No. You're, oh, you are here. Okay. Never mind. I guess ah. I don't have that power. Um. So. <laughs> I undermined uh, you. Undermined. Yes, I, I'm undermined by by my everything in my life um that was a so, demonstration of free will overriding god's plan it really it really is um so Teddy, my God. how much how much power do you think you have how much influence do you think you have into what kind of person your child will grow up to be so we've got the whole nature versus nurture debate. And I believe that we all have a certain personality that we are born with. And that's kind of ingrained in us. And nature can kind of affect that but there's still just that 
inherent personality. And so, for example, with me, I, I, I mean, to my core, I'm a people pleaser and, and you, people can throw all sorts of stuff, but I, I will still try to, you know, do stuff to, to make people happy or, or whatever. I, it just, it's part of me. Whereas some people are just really oppositional. I don't mean, I mean, yes, I can be a debater. You're, you're attorney, that. right? Yeah, in that okay, sort of right. way, but I'm not like on a on a personal level. I'm not a confrontational person like somebody that starts fights like just in interpersonal communications. Like people can say, you know, mildly rude things to me and I usually let it slide. It's only if people are just intensely aggressive with me that I'll, you know, you know, I, I would actually, I would actually confirm that about you. Yeah. I mean, I, I let a lot of low level offenses go by. It's, if, if something's in my face, then I'll address it. But otherwise I'll, I'll let it slide. But, um, but that's, but that's an inherent part of me. And so even when life, challenges hit me that's still just part of who I am and so other people some people are naturally just ornery or or whatever I mean just different personality traits some people have more charming personality traits some people have less charming personality traits some people are you know are just less agreeable or 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 don't get along as well with, with others and, and whatever. So there's only so much a parent can do to, to change that nature. I mean, we can try and, and a lot of time, one of the interesting things I you know, granted, I, I'm naturally inclined to please people, but a wonderful technique that my parents used, which I think helped them never have a rebel on their hands, um, even in my teenage years. I mean, I was just so easy. I'm like, I always tell my mom, I'm like, wow, you had it so easy. <laughs> she did. I'm like, um, and that is that Anytime, if there was something that I wanted to do or wanted and they disagreed with it, they didn't just tell me no, and, you know, in, a, in some authoritarian way. They would, they would tell me no, but then they would give me a reason, an explanation for why. And it was with the explanation is we love you. We are wanting to protect you and to do what's good for you. And this is why we don't want you to, to do this or to have this. And, and because I understood that it was coming from a place of love and that they're wanting to protect me, even if, you know, maybe I still really want to do it. But a lot of times I then understood why, and you know, that would usually make sense. And so I accepted it. But even if I, I still didn't agree with it. I at least understood why. And it, it kind of diffuses the need or the motivation to necessarily rebel against one's parents. And so I was never a rebel. Um, 
I mean, no, I can, I can at times have a rebellious, not a really a rebellious streak. If I think something is wrong, I will go up against it, but I'm not a rebel just to be a rebel unless I'm just in a debate and I'm just wanting to do devil's advocate. Just so how does that help you deal with, um, how does that help you deal with your child when they so, respond in ways that you think you wouldn't have? Uh, do, well, I mean, do, you, so, do you think I mean, it's your responsibility to kind of get that rebelliousness out of them or make them more I, like so, you? Do you accept I, it? I, do you manage it? What do you, what do you do I with that? I try to use the technique that my, parents used with me which was to explain why and and now that my son is older and and understands a lot more things you know I explain why I'm I'm telling him not to do certain things why it's to his benefit that I'm trying to protect him to watch out for him and then I'm not you know trying to be you know mean or anything like that it's I'm watching out for him and that's now you know registering and so that helps diffuse some of the opposition um you know that sometimes encountered but uh yeah but what if it's just his his nature to be oppositional do is is that something you can accept well who wants to accept that i mean it's that you know if it, 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 you know, an oppositional nature is that, but there's nothing pleasant about, about that. Yeah, but then that puts you in the uh, role of trying to fix your child as opposed to, and so, I mean, there, okay, but here's look, the I'm, thing. I'm just making, I'm making comments. Right. I don't have a kid okay. to worry about. But here's so. the thing. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, on a philosophical level, I disagree with this notion that we should um, just always accept people for exactly who they are and that every behavior is okay. Now, sometimes there are certain behaviors that people cannot help and good people, I think it's, it's a nice thing to show grace to people, but, um, but like what you're saying is like, well, if somebody's just oppositional, that's just them and you just love them for, you know, that. And it's like, well, no, I don't have to accept like, oh, well, you're just that way. So ah, just be that way. And, yeah, okay, well, so no. what, what do you have to accept? Are there some things well, you I have mean, to accept? You can still try to change that. I mean, I think that it's good to have standards in terms of what is a good standard. Hold to that uphold. thought, Andrew. Jump in. What uh, what's the what's the deal with um, this nature versus nurture thing? If if you see your daughter forming in a certain way with a certain personality, um, are, is it is it your job to fix it, or is it your job to uh, just kind of manage it? And, um, or is it your job to do anything with it at all? Um, what, what, what are your limits? Uh, you know, because I see a lot of parents, I think it's a mistake anyway. I see a lot of parents making the mistake of trying to force their children to be a type of person that they are fundamentally not. And they take on a lot of responsibility to do that and then feel guilty when it doesn't work and end up pushing their children away and you know that that story so uh chime in chime in what's the 
what what's the deal with this um lots and lots there um emma's not my first kid i've got stepkids um had them from the time they were very very young um i think the, the question is so broad ranging so personality issues uh don't have to be magnified into right or wrong um if you if you take personality and you say well, this personality trait creates on the back of it uh, an action that is either harmful to the child or someone else. Well, yeah, so now we've crossed a clear line, right? Um, Matthew, I think, uh, has a philosophy. Matthew, jump in anytime I, I am sort of off the track here. But, uh, Matthew has a, uh, a relationship with his daughter where she can be, uh, what's the British term cheeky is that is that that's right word yeah okay so so she can um, she can respond in kind uh, with Matthew I think that's I think that's perfectly acceptable I think that's a good relationship children need to be able to explore the boundaries of their personality at home they regardless of their personality type there will be good things and bad things about their personality that that their social environment will work on. But if you say, well, I'm not just talking about personality, I'm talking about shoplifting. Well, now we've got a different conversation. Uh, if, if your child is the one that is always talking about injuring another child at school, like that little girl down in Florida that was just stabbed to death by her classmates, mm. um, the, the, that, there were warning signs that that little boy's parents acknowledge leading up to that event, right? So I think the better question is, when is it a personality thing and when is it a warning sign? I think that's much harder. So those, are, those are my thoughts. If we can chase any of that or, or none of it based on how you guys, how you guys feel about it. It looks like David disappeared. David, are you muted? Okay, well, I'll pick up on that and uh, run in my direction while we wait. Yeah, um, I'm here. So, yeah, uh, go ahead. To, and to by the way, on... you you veteran hosts, you don't recognize when someone has to take a pee break, and so you call it out. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I just, I just want to know, was that I'm a I'm never going to get rid of these bit? tire marks on the <laughs> bus you just ran over me with. Um, anyway. Did you, did you hoist yourself? <laughs> I, you know what? This is... <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just turn this back off again. Um... <laughs> this is what you call a loving intervention. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to pick up what um, Angel's saying, and I've, you'll have heard me say it on Still Unbelievable. If uh, any of you dare to lower yourselves to listening to to that podcast over there. Uh, but yes, I allow my daughter to be cheeky and to answer back to me because I don't think it's appropriate for me to um push that kind of behavior out from a, a 16 year old nearly 17 year old you know, i think it's important for her to push the boundary of that relationship with me and to give you an example of the kind of relationship we have the key ring that i have for my car is uh got a little lego batman hanging off it now i've had this key ring probably for about four years now and my daughter bought it for me as a little gift and 
when I saw what it was, I said, oh, cool, you got me a Batman. Is that because uh, Batman's a really cool superhero? And she says, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's because you're not the Joker. <laughs> and it's clearly a subtle commentary on the quality of my humour. So that's why I've got a Batman on my keyring. It's because I'm not the Joker. And so it's a subtlety that really plays into both my daughter's sense of humour and my sense of humour. And I like that and I love that. And that's why that's the keyring that I have uh, on my car keys. Yeah. That's the keyring that's in my hand all the time because it reminds me of how much I want that relationship, relationship to be like that. And I hope I've still got that keyring in 20 years time. So that's uh, kind of where it is. Like, like I said, I want to encourage that kind of behavior. But to go back to David's question, how, how much impact do we have on the way our children uh, come out to? And yes, it is obvious, this is the whole nature nurture debate, but I think the depressing answer to that question is not as much as we think we have. I can't really control what my daughter's personality type is. A lot of people say to her, she's got the same kind of sense of humour as I do. And I think they're right, I, I can see it. But she hates that. She thinks that's a horrible thing for people to say because she thinks her sense of humour is far superior to mine. She's <laughs> wrong, obviously, but as a teenager, she's perfectly entitled to have a wrong opinion. And I won't always correct her on that, but I'll just let her believe the wrong thing and let other people remind her that her sense of humour is shared with mine and she can, she can suffer those consequences for as, for as long as she cares to. Um, but that's a less important thing. At, this, at home, the things I care more about is when she comes downstairs halfway through the day as teenagers are want to do and makes herself breakfast 20 minutes before lunchtime, does she clear up after her? That's far more important to me than the nature of our humorous jibes at each other. And I'd much rather a child that came downstairs, tidied up after themselves, uh, cleared up their mess and kept the house clean, and then thought in advance about what other things they could do. For me, that's a far more important quality than bickering over who's got the best sense of humour. So where I try to have an impact is in the things that I'm more concerned about, which is that kind of thing. Just generally being a decent person around the house and not leaving a mess everywhere and thinking about the other occupants of the house. Because I think that kind of attitude translates into other parts of life. It translates into the workplace. It translates into interactions on the street. It translates into how you treat shopkeepers when you're visiting a store and all those kind of things. I'd much rather that everybody in life that doesn't involve me who interacts with her has an interaction with her that they leave feeling that they've had a good or a pleasant interaction. For me, that's a far more important thing to have. So I try hard to do that, but I think that the, there are other people in her life that also impact that kind of thing and probably far more than me. And specifically, I'm gonna to go to her school interactions, her teachers at school and her classmates at school. She spends far more time per day, certainly during term time, with those people than she does with me because she doesn't see me in the morning or she might do for 10 minutes while she gets dressed and I shoot out the door to work. And she sees me a bit in the evening, but she's a teenager. She's got her own mind. And quite often she'll take herself to a room and do her own thing for half of the evening. So the amount of time she sees me every day is significantly less 
in the amount of time she spends with her teachers, the amount of time she spends with her classmates. So I think those people probably have more impact on some of her likes, some of her dislikes, some of her behaviour aspects than I do. And for a parent, I think that's actually quite a difficult thing to, to handle because you means you're ceding responsibility for the shaping of your child's personality to people who you have absolutely zero control of. And I have to trust the school and trust the teachers at the school that they're imparting things onto my daughter that I'm comfortable with and I'm happy with. And that's quite a difficult thing as a parent when you talk to your child and you talk about the interactions that they have. And to give you one example, two years ago, three years ago now, she came home from school and she uttered probably the worst words any child of mine could ever utter. And that was, science is boring. Now, I adore science uh, and I've always tried to talk sciencey stuff with her and explain sciencey stuff with her. And that devastated me. And so I was determined to get to the bottom of it. It basically turned out, to cut a long story short, she wasn't getting a very good science education at school, partly due to the teacher's control of the classroom. Because to use my daughter's words, all the boys were constantly mucking around and there was low level interruptions constantly. So my wife and I made the really hard conversation to change the school that she went to. Because that is what I've got control over. I didn't like what she was coming back from school with. So I changed the school and that changed her. And that changed the education that she got and it changed her character and it changed her personality. Now, the only point, the only control I had over that was which school she went to. The actual mechanics of the change in her character, the change in her likes, the change in her personality, the way she blossomed as, a, as an individual to become more confident in herself, to go to really enjoying being educated about science. That was all down to the teachers and to classmates at the new school she went to. I, my decision maybe was a really crucial decision. It was a relatively small decision. The practical implications of, of having an actual valid impact on her was not me at all. It, it was her teachers. And I'm glad I made that decision. I'm glad my wife and I agreed to make that decision. I'm glad that we talked to my daughter over that decision that we agreed the school to go to, went through all the processes to, to do that. And, I'm and my daughter will affirm that she had a really great time, time at that school. Uh, but the point I'm driving to is as a parent, I think I have far less control over how my daughter ends up than I realise. And that little anecdote shows that the people that your children interact with when they're not under your control has a huge impact on how they turn out. And we need to acknowledge that, we need to accept that, whether we like it or not. And if there is something we can do to direct that, we probably need to think about that too. So let's transition a bit to parental control. I, I see you, Teddy. Um, I, just get, let, me, let me just transition. You can say what you're gonna say, it'll fit, I promise. Um, and if it doesn't, you can say it anyway. Um, but I, I want to push the conversation into slightly more dangerous territory um, as, as we continue. And I'm going to open it up to a bit more of a free-for-all. So now we're putting down the uh, practice swords. And, the real fitness um, and starts now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we, um, we, have to, we have to get to some of these 
challenging things. So you talk, you mentioned parental control, uh, Matt. This is a, a place, whether you are Christian or non-Christian, that um, drives parents crazy. Now, you said something there a moment ago, and it it put me back to a time in my own childhood um, when we were dealing with a school that we didn't, that uh, just wasn't good for anyone. You said you had the ability to uh, move your child to another school. And that's good. That that gives you some control. So if one school is underperforming, you can take her to another school. That hasn't always been the case uh, in America, and it is not the case everywhere in America. And so when I was in school, there were two schools in Sylacaug, Alabama, where, uh, where I was Growing up at the time, uh, one was Sylacauga High, where the great Jim neighbors went. Um, surprise, surprise, surprise. And uh, the other one was B.B. Comer, it, which, which sounds like a, a clan's nest. Um, and and it, <laughs> it was pretty much what it sounded like, because you don't actually want to send your kids to a place called B.B. Comer. Uh, for any number of reasons. So, um, but it was determined where you went to school based on where you lived. And you couldn't just decide, well, I don't want to go to this uh, underperforming school with a bad football team. Um, I want to go to this other school. And by the way, football was one of the determining factors for if you could get a um, an exception, <laughs> you know, because if your child was exceptionally good football player, there were always ways around um, the restrictions for where you went to school. Uh, and whereas I was stuck with B.B. Comer, uh, my uh, the brother that was uh, a little older than me was having even a worse time of it. And my parents found a way to get him an exemption so that he could go to Sylacauga High. And uh, he had to technically kind of sort of move in with somebody in another side of town to be able to do it. Uh, so my parents allowed that to happen. But that's that's a matter of control, parental control, that a lot of parents would like to exercise. And so I understand I don't agree with, but I understand the heart of the parents uh, that tend to be more conservative, extremely conservative, fundamentalist, batshit, crazy, wacko compound. Um, I understand these people who pull their kids out of school and decide to homeschool because they feel like the school system has gone in such a direction and they are forced to send their child to this place that's teaching them things that they don't agree with, and they they want to gain some measure of control. And so they go to this extreme and do this. I understand that. Uh, like I said, I don't agree with it, but I, I am sympathetic toward it. And so I, I would like to hear from the panelists about things that are happening in society and culture and education that make you feel like you don't have as much control uh, in raising your kids 
uh, as as you want. Now, I can I can tell you, even though I'm not a foster parent anymore, were I a foster parent, I would be very concerned uh, about schools that had uh, religious content, prayers, um, uh, things like that, which happens in America all the time. Um, I would be concerned about schools with religious clubs and things like that. I would be concerned uh, about schools with sketchy uh, science books uh, that that have very outdated and incorrect material, which is true in this country in lots of places. Um, and I would be tempted to be one of those people that said, "Look, if I can't, if I can't take my kid out of this school and put them in this other school." I want to take them out of school altogether. I would be tempted to do that. I don't think I would, but that would be one area in the education system in particular where I would feel like I don't have the kind of parental control uh, that I want. Andrew, is there any part of society, uh, culture uh, in general? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I promised Teddy the first bite of this because she wanted to bring that in. Uh, Teddy, is there some part of society, culture, uh, education where you as a parent feel like your your control as a parent is being infringed? Well, I think that right now schools have been engaging in a tremendous amount of indoctrination as opposed to just keeping things more. I mean, there's always been a degree of that even you know back in my day when I was in school, but uh, it's far more overt now. And it's not just the subtle political indoctrination, but there is um, a very strong cultural indoctrination. Can you clarify what is being indoctrinated? Because I, sure. I wanna nod along and say, amen, sister, but I don't yeah. think we're talking about the same things. <laughs> I, I think that right now, I mean, what I'm, what I'm seeing, I find it very disturbing. I, I grew up and up until just recently, and I'm probably gonna be getting a lot of pushback from, from y'all, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm telling the truth I, from everything I have seen and from what I, mean, I live life here in America and I have never seen this much uh, hate crime going on um, in terms of with, um, with racism in my lifetime. Uh, it, it is it is just brought to a head, and what we have is there is the fomenting of of uh, pitting races against each other, and 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 I, this whole notion that that you know people because they're white, you know we're racist and we can't help but be racist. That, yeah, when you when you say racism, you mean racism against white people, right? No, I, I'm just- I'm Or just, just, just the fomenting it, of racism in there general. Is, there, is, there is this um, fomenting of this idea that whites just can't help but be racist and this 
fomenting of the notion that America as, as a whole, there's so much racism going on. When it, a lot of focus on racist past. Is there, um, is there some racism? Yeah. Of course, there's always going to be racism everywhere. There's always going to be sexism. There's always going to be some homophobia. There's always going to be some of everything that's evil at all times in history. You, you can't, I mean, there's always going to be some evil. But prior to, you know, the past couple of years, I think we were at a place where things were probably at the best that they had been in history in this country. And then all of a sudden it just went down. And, and right now uh, you have these cultural Marxists that are just trying to, to pit the race, the races against each other and to, to make it seem like like white people just hate everybody else and they're hitting everybody. And I'm like, you know, what is this? And and I'm sorry, I'm not racist, and I'm not gonna act like I've got something to apologize for when I don't, because I'm not apologizing for something that I have nothing to apologize for. Sure. So how do you, how does this affect your, your parenting, uh, or, you know, if not you parents of people that you and know, I don't, and I don't know that that's going on in my son's school. I mean, with, with the whole COVID lockdown, I don't know that I've been hearing so much of that during the class, but I mean, I've been hearing just that a lot of, a lot of parents have been hearing their kids talking about that sort of stuff being brought up in schools. So what's and, the what's the remedy from your so perspective? I don't well, I mean the remedy is is that teachers need to keep that kind of politics out of the schools. If if they want to to talk that kind of smack, they need to keep that in the political arena and not try to brainwash kids. They can brainwash their own kids, but uh, or, or do what they want in the political arena, but that needs to not be going on in school. In school, the, the philosophy that, that needs to be bred is the philosophy that, that was taught to me, both by my family and the society that I grew up under, which was the philosophy that Martin Luther King taught which is that we do not see color. We do not see color, not the philosophy now that everything is about color, everything is about gender, everything is about all of the differences. No, uh-uh. What we focus on is who the person is, their mind, their heart. That's what matters. That's who a person is. It's not the shell. And, and these people and, and what they're trying to do and brainwash our kids, it's all to just bring about the downfall of this fantastic society that we have. That's, that's so had the greatest so let, just, just kind of keeping it, steering it, uh, you know, somewhere a topic adjacent. So as a, as a parent, 
what is what is your response to that? Do you want to pull your kid out of school? Do you no, uh, do you attend school, do you attend school board meetings and you know have have, have rowdy conversations? I, you know, I'm probably going to need to, given what's been going on, and and there are parents that are are starting to raise hell at these school board meetings. Do, do you and, feel like this kind of indoctrination uh, is affecting your child at all? Well. It's not right now because okay. my child's getting plenty of indoctrination at home. Okay, so, so that that maybe that's the cure. Then maybe maybe the maybe the cure is, um, you know, and I'm not making a judgment on your your uh, opinions. I because I asked what what is it that makes you feel like you have less control as a parent, and I'm I'm fine with your answer, but I'm also curious about so. If that's something that makes you feel like you have less control, what's the, what's the remedy? What what is your response to I that as a parent? Like, I'm not crazy about homeschooling. I I like the idea of kids being with other kids and learning the value of competition and just being with others, uh, as opposed to just sort of being isolated in a homeschool and you know being treated just I don't know like a bird in a cage. Um, with, with my son, one of the wonderful things about my son, uh, you know, and, and he, he's like his mama with this. And, and that is, you know, when, when he feels very certain about something being right, he sticks to it. And so when there are things, I mean, he, he will butt heads, especially with his mama on things just to butt heads with her. Um, and, and this was kind of what I was getting at when we were talking about the nature versus nurture stuff. So, his, so, so he will butt heads with me just for the fun of doing that. But the things that I have been instilling in his mind, I will hear sometimes his teachers um, telling me things that he says to other kids. And it's things that I have told him. And so I can tell that what I've been putting in his ear, it's going in there. He doesn't, you know, when he's around me, I don't see it, but I, you know, I find out, you know, in a roundabout way that it's sinking in. And so the nurture aspect, you know, that is important too. And so sometimes that, that personality, you know, it may kind of camouflage things. It may make people a little bit rough around the edges, uh, a little bit more combative at times, especially with certain people. And I think moms like to be the people that children like to, you know, usually it's usually the taskmasters that get the brunt of it. And, you know, usually it's the mothers that are the taskmasters and I'm certainly the one that's the taskmaster. But but in terms of shaping that personality, I think we do have a duty to try as best we can. We can't just say, oh, well, a person's this way. So yeah, let's just let them be this way. No, we have a duty to try to, to, to set standards in terms of what we think are the ideal personality traits and try to so, steer people in so that So let's, 
let's see then. It sounds like you are not having the kind of um, control angst that a lot of people are. Andrew, um, you are an atheist in a largely Christian society. I think it's fair to call this largely Christian society. It's fair to call uh, Britain a largely atheist society. Um, do you are, are there some issues for you where you uh, where you feel uh, you know because of the culture that you are in that you have a, a loss of parental uh, control and what's your what's your remedy for it? Yes. Um, so I taught for a little while, about three years, um, and so first let me say that uh, indoctrination. In teaching someone to accept a position without critical thinking, without careful evaluation. So if your child is going to a school where they're not teaching critical thinking, um, find someplace else for them to be. School is a place where we should be finding alternate ideas. We should be experimenting with other ways of thinking. We should be learning how to think deeply and carefully about the problems of our time. Um, so uh, I'll just ask the, the listeners to think about what indoctrination actually is and what indoctrination is not. Having said that, as far as I can tell, one of the biggest problems that we face in school today is not uh, primarily indoctrination. It is safety in the classroom. You cannot expect children to learn well when they're worried that their classmate has a gun at school. You can't expect them to think well when they're being bullied online. And they're subject to that same bullying right in the classroom because our kids are taking phones in classrooms, they're being bullied in the classroom. We need to do a better job as a society of creating a better education environment. I don't think any of us have any doubt about that. What are the solutions to making that better environment? I don't have all the answers. And it well appears that nobody does. You want better students, make better schools. Make safer schools. Make schools where children have the ability to achieve. Fucking fund our schools better than they're funded. Uh, apologies. Uh, got a bit of a rant about, uh, about what we're doing in education. Create better education opportunities. Don't, don't create a world where there's, so David, I know both high schools. Don't create a county where there's a B.B. Comer and a Silicon High. Our children are failing, and they're failing on our watch because we're failing to do the right things for them. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be a, a school where they don't have access to education. 
modern science materials. Our children don't need to learn physics from the 1800s. They need to learn physics from at least the 1900s. Um, so we've got a we've got a problem that that predecesses uh, that predecesses what we're teaching in classrooms, and that is to simply have safe classrooms. So that's uh, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem as far as i can see matt it sounds like uh you have a pretty good handle on um parental control with regard to education are there any uh areas in your society or culture where you feel like uh your child is getting some kind of indoctrination or some kind of something is happening with regard to your child that you don't have control of that you feel like um your your control is being infringed uh, on in some way Yes, and I'm fairly sure you'll probably be able to predict uh, what that is. It's less of an issue now, but it certainly was an issue and it caused a few um, challenging home conversations uh, at the time, which we needed to work our way through. Uh, but basically, it's the subject of church. Uh, listeners to some believe will know that my wife is a Christian and has taken my daughter to church, as is her right, and uh, I accepted that. But there were a few occasions where she would come home from church and in the children's uh, part of the, the church where you've got people who are not trained teachers, not trained theologians, imparting biblical education onto your children in the way that they themselves decide how it's going to go. And quite often, that results in, in a conflict, certainly with somebody like myself, who likes to see scientific explanations for things and likes to see scientific justification for things. So when your child comes home with something that uh, they've learned at church that contradicts that, it creates a, a problem and we've had to navigate through that. And that's one of the challenges of, of being parents when the two parents have parts of their worldview which conflict with each other it's the ultimate mixed marriage that? it is yes and to be fair to my wife she didn't choose that you know i created that issue in our marriage by deconverting you know 15 years into our marriage and that's on me i accept that but we have to solve the issues together and that creates challenges because when the daughter comes home and says something that she's learned to in the, the children's part of church and I react extremely negatively to that because it's factually incorrect but not only is it factually incorrect the baggage that it's attached to I object to quite strongly and I'm threatening to go marching down to the pastor's house and tell him that under no circumstances is my daughter to hear that ever again yeah, let me let me just let me just cut in and ask you uh, this because and I, I hope Andrew uh, comes in on this too. I, as I said, it's ultimate mixed marriage. Forget mixed races. Uh, well, depending on where you live, um, but this idea of one person being a Christian, one person not, that can work if you don't have kids. Uh, and even then, it's real hard. Um, but when you have kids, to me, uh, as a 
again, I keep reminding as a person who does not have kids, that seems impossible. It seems like an impossible scenario. And so at some point, uh, your wife, uh, forget the preacher, your wife is going to say something or do something that's religiously that's uh, communicating to your kids. And it's something that uh, you don't like, or you're going to say something or communicate uh, something to your kid that your wife doesn't believe in. And you both have to have some kind of agreement, I would think, some signal, some radar, something that says, okay, I'm not going to take this issue up. I'm just going to let her say it and get away with it. Who gets away with it? Um, is, is, do, does the person who says the Christian thing always get away with it and you just bite your tongue? Or does the person who says the atheist thing always get away with it? Does one person end up not saying what they think more than the other? How do you manage that? Because the one thing I know you can't possibly do is you can't tell your daughter, well, your mother's just crazy. So you've got to have some, some way around that. And so I'm just wondering how that how that could possibly work? Because I don't have enough imagination to to figure you it know, out. You know, David, the, the Trump card <laughs> is uh, she who carries the baby for nine months wins. That's always the time. Where is my mute button, um, Matthew? That is always tiebreaker. I yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, I let's throw rationality out the window and just say that somebody yeah, carrying the baby wins. Yeah, I would be I'd be talking to a lawyer. I'll be honest with you. That that just I he, I am not constitutionally carried, set up to do it. Births the baby wins. Yeah, never mind if she was on crack. <laughs> but but Matthew, I I want to hear I want to hear how you go with that, and I know that Andrew has some some energy around this that he hasn't talked about yet. So I'm going to just drag that out. Uh, so as we're as we're rounding toward the finish line, things are going to get a little bit messy. But tell me how you deal with that mess at your house, because that's that's a nightmare to me. I'm not going to go into all the details because while we've done it and we've managed to stay married together 12 years after I broke the devastating news. It's not been a smooth sale. And the stats for couples in the position that we're on are not good for those who make it, but we've made it. Great, hooray for us. I think there's a couple of reasons in which we make it. And one predominantly is we're here in the UK where it's, where religion is less combative. My wife is probably what many American Christians would call a progressive Christian, which probably means that she's not a real Christian at all. So that probably helps as well. I think if my wife had been the young earth um, literalist Christian that I was for most of my adult life, the story may well have been very different. So I'm blessed with the kind of woman that I'm married in the first place. Yay me, made a good choice. Um, so certainly there is that. But yes, there are times when you need to make a decision. You either say, yeah, I'm going to jump in this feet first because there's a principle I must uphold. Or you say, actually, you know what? I'm going battles need to be picked. And this is not a battle that's worth fighting. And I, and I think what we've done is we've done a lot more of this is not a battle that's worth fighting. We both love our daughter. Our daughter would have been mistreated if we'd gone out the last 10 years fighting over everything and then gone our separate ways. It would have been a worse environment 
for our daughter if that's what we've done. And so sometimes you just gotta suck it up, swallow it, and maybe have that conversation at another time in privacy when you can do it calmly, or you just don't have that conversation at all. And do you feel really... like the compromise is evenly split, uh, roughly, or or is is one of one or the other of you? You don't have to say which. Making the compromise more. I'm not going to answer that one because a I don't know, and b it's probably unfair to call either out as, as that because it gives the impression of one parent being the better parent and I sure. don't really want to go go down that road what I will say is when you start a marriage and have a child when you're both Christians with a tradition of taking the child to church and then one of those goes ah you know what this isn't for me you have to deal with the fact that your spouse is going to continue going to church with the child or the children you have to deal with that and you have to suck that up and you become the bad person if you say i'm going to ban you from taking the children to church so you need to find a way to deal with that and you need to find a way to deal with that amicably because if you don't the relationship is over it really is quite that simple and i don't think that makes one better by by taking the bigger compromise i think there's a better more practicality and i think trying to put marks on the chalkboard of who's compromised the most um, just creates an unevenness and a situation where you're fostering resentment in the relationship. And I would say flat out, don't go down that road at all. There lies pain, there lies danger, and nobody will come out well if you go down that road. Um, but it's difficult. And one of the conversations, uh, points that we had was around the situation of, okay, we're in this situation. Maybe one option is. If it's Jesus talk, that goes to mummy. If it's science talk, that goes to daddy. That doesn't work either, you know, because... <laughs> it sounded like such a good idea when you... <laughs> no, that, that, that frankly doesn't work. Um, why, why should I be barred from having an opinion on things that go on in church? I know how churches run. I've been there. Just because I've rejected the structure and the infrastructure, that does not bar me from having an opinion on being able to express something about it. So that doesn't work because we all have opinions about things that are not our speciality and we should be allowed to invoke them and talk about them. If we're wrong, then we find out the ugly way that we're wrong, but we should not be barred from expressing our opinion just because it's not our position of does expertise. It, does it matter if it's the formative years versus the non-formative years? Um, hard question because I wouldn't say that it's formative years to me. I was a Christian went into adulthood, so I would say that that, that justification doesn't apply to me. I, I, mean, I, understand. I mean, I mean, with your children, like, like for example, if if okay, if, sorry, yeah, if, I think it matters even if they're more. Eighteen yeah. versus if they're three. Yeah, okay. I think it does matter a lot in the formative years because this is where we're very strong. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is where precedences can be set in a child's mind. And the let's, let me give a very, I, I don't think this has happened to my daughter, but let me give a very specific example. Imagine that my daughter was going to a very charismatic church who, and she was being taught that people who 
used to be Christians and then recant on their faith were never truly saved in the first place. And those people are destined to eternal torment in, in hell. And you imagine at five, six years old, she's been taught that. Imagine what effect that will have on her, knowing that I used to be a believer. And she comes home and she finds me as the loving parent and this loving father who cares for her, her well-being and wants to talk things about life through her. But she's being taught this at school, at, at, sorry, at church, outside that. Can you imagine the kind of damage that that would do to a child at um, that young age and the risk that that has of um, the relationship with a parent that she loves then but might become afraid of because of what she's being taught at, at church? Now, I'm saying my, my, that didn't happen to my daughter, but I can envisage a scenario where that could happen. I don't and think so, that would make her afraid. That would make her anxious for you. Yes, but it also might make her afraid of me as well. If she, if on top of that, she's also, if she's, if she's being learned that people, because this is one thing, one trope that Christians push out an awful lot is that atheists like myself have no basis on which to base their morals. They can't be trusted on things what they say to be right oh, or wrong, and all that kind of thing. So if she's also coming home with that kind of thing, it's it creates a conflict and a confusion and it creates a potential issue in a relationship there. And if that was happening, that would be completely out of my control. And imagine then that I find out that this is going on and it's damaging the relationship to my daughter because she's getting concerned about me and getting scared about me and spending less time with me because of all this stuff. So I say, well, okay, something needs to happen. That then creates a problem with the relationship between the two parents because the father wants to do something right. to change that. And if the wife doesn't want to leave the church, or it could the, the roles could be reversed, you know. So there's a whole load of tension there. I'm really thankful that that didn't happen in my situation. But I can imagine that there are people who find themselves in that situation. And I feel for them. And I dread to think what would happen. I'm pretty sure that if my wife and I had been in a situation like that, if we hadn't moved church, you know, that would have caused probably a, a fatal um damage to to our relationship and so that would have been the church having an overall negative impact on the family unit through the things that they teach which they believe are the right things to teach so that scenario genuinely bothers me and concerns me and i think there's a poison in there that needs to be eradicated let me let me bring andrew in on this who i'm surprised has not come in hang on teddy and andrew has a legitimate andrew has a legitimate bit here i'll let you and andrew teddy, argue can you uh, actually stop can you actually do it in 60 seconds uh, no <laughs> no <laughs> no so, so i'm gonna i'm gonna let me oh, let me yeah, just no, explain I'm, I'm, i remember let me just say it real quick <laughs> I've never seen you say anything quick, but I'll give you first bite uh, of the apple. Uh, yes, I got something to say here. Okay, we're going to say so. The the fact that Matthew, with like what you're even saying, I I think it it just from from my reaction to that, I'm so unaccustomed to even being around Christians that think the way the Christians that you were around were thinking like that because you're an atheist that you would have bad morals and it 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 goes to show just the very distinct difference between the 
the type of church and Christians that you've been around and those that I have been around and not, I've been around not just Greek Orthodox, but lots of different Christians. I've not encountered Christians like that. And it's so, I just, it's like, I don't know. I, I wish we could just all have a big old kumbaya and, and just all, just have a, a session to you where we can't can have kumbaya talk. moments with servants of Satan. Yes, uh, so somebody, somebody is going to have to yield their underlying belief. And quite frankly, this is, this is exactly the reason why I call this religious versus uh, with atheist marriage, the ultimate mixed marriage, especially when they're kids, it, because if there is any hint of fundamentalism in that religion, you can't help but go there. It's going to go there. But I, I'm going I'm to give this to Andrew for a moment. Uh, and uh, since it's necessary to say, I'm going to step out for a pee break. Um, <laughs> so you don't have to note that David seems to have gone. Where's David? All of you, all of you expert what? podcasters here. We're That's where I'm going. Actually... Go, go. Um, so at any rate, I'm going to, uh, I want to do that. But I, I wanted to set this up a little bit because Andrew has been, um, uh, uh, pussyfooting around his uh, his own personal issues that he uh, had mentioned that he wanted to talk about on the show, which is the only reason I'm bringing it up. And so I'm saying, Andrew, this is the moment <laughs> to to bring that up because I think it's I think it's uh, important. This is a this is a slot that I've been trying to to groom to fit that in. So go for it. The sad thing is that you don't actually have to be in a divided marriage to end up in a relationship in which Christianity plays a role. Um, my girlfriend and I, neither of us are Christians. No interest in being Christian. Uh, my values and the ones that I will pass on to my child are, uh, are values that, uh, that don't cause other people to be harmed. I'm, I'm a humanist uh, by and large. She will learn those values. But we live in a Christian extended family. The first time we had a family get together after my daughter was born, we were at our relative's house and, and our extended family has prayer before meals. By the way, I have no problem with them having prayer before meals. I don't pray. And I have often politely stepped out of the room. But my extended family wants my daughter raised in a Christian church. I'll just tell you, ain't gonna happen. But here's what did happen. My girlfriend's mother, my daughter's grandmother, maternal grandmother, saw family prayer coming. And she asked to hold the baby because they were whispering about this prayer. I wasn't, I wasn't in the living. But when she asked to hold the baby, I said, okay, sure, fine. But I want her back before prayer because I'm taking her outside. Why? Because I have no intention of letting her be indoctrinated into prayer starting at, uh, at 
So like I said, it's roughly newborn at that point. But if I let it happen now, they will continue this prayer thing with her and she'll be indoctrinated into it. So sure enough, her grandmother picks her up, tell her I want her back before the prayer. What does she do? He walks off into the prayer circle. And then I had to play the bad guy. So, yes, I walked in, I interrupted, I took the baby, and I walked outside. Now, you could, you could easily say, but look, she's a baby, she's never going to remember it. That's absolutely right. She'll never remember it. On the other hand, no one, no one has the right take my child into any sort of religious setting without my approval. And right now we face this every time our family gets together. So what has it done? This insistence on conservative evangelical values has broken our family relationship. My, my girlfriend, her relationship with her parents is, is much degraded because we won't let them take our daughter to Sunday school. Because we won't let them bring her into family prayer. Because there are some stories that we won't let them tell her. Our family is broken. Yesterday, uh, they're doing some, some remodeling work. Uh, my girlfriend's parents doing some remodeling work with us. Went out to help them get the work done. We don't want this relationship broken. We will do everything we can to repair it. But if you're the kind of nut that thinks that your views override my views and override my desires for my daughter. You need to bow out. And I will do what is necessary to keep that kind of person out of her life because here's what's not going to happen. I'm not going to have to tell her that her grandparents are so crazy that they hear voices in their heads. I'm not going to put my daughter in that position. But that is what they say. These people believe that God talks to them inside their heads. I'm also not going to be put in the position of having to defend myself to my daughter. When one of these people says, your dad's a baby killer. By the way, that's been said in our family group messages. The harm of religion is not that religion exists. Religion can exist perfectly fine. The harm of religion for my family is when people think that my daughter should be a target for their crazy views. 
that damn well won't happen. Andrew, you mind if I engage you on this? At your own risk. <laughs> mm -hmm. I risk. Uh, so I, I totally get, you know, the general principle of, sorry for the puppies, uh, squeals in the background. Uh, I totally get the principle of a parent having sort of uh, a very strong dominion and control over their child. Not what this is about. Not, it, well, it kind of is. No, because, it kind of is not. Well, it you're dead wrong. I bet it, you're, it's your child and you have your principles and you don't want them in. This is not about dominion. Well, you're, you're simply wrong. Teddy. How, how there are principles here. But it's, those, you, you don't want their principles. principles. You want your principles. Uh, no, that's, that's not right at all. Okay. So can you correct me? My, I've been trying to. Okay. They've got perfectly good principles in some ways. And I want my granddaughter, I want my daughter to get to know her grandparents. If you had listened very carefully, what you'd have heard is they can't push their religious views. Well, I'm, because they were, I, I'm not finished. Because their religious views are actually the thing causing the conflict. I'm if speaking were, about the religion. That that's the principles. Okay. That that was. I, I probably should have said specifically religion, but that that was what I was referring to, not okay. just their principles in general. Um. So, as a parent, I I, I get the whole thing that in general parents want to control. And I'm speaking generally initially. You're using a word that I wouldn't use, though. Okay, but, but let, let me well, take it from, from the general well, to then narrowing it down. Is well, it general? Let, me, let me just replace the word control with indoctrination because the, the difference that we already have, and I'm correcting you here so that we don't end up on a long dialogue, that is not part of my position. But we're going to get to it. I, look, I, I, the, listeners, the listeners have to know that control is not what I'm talking about. It, but it is. No, it, it's not. If you just let me get out what I'm going to say, you're going to see what I'm saying. I, I, I'm trying to initially set up the general principle that parents, when you have a kid, it's your kid. And so parents have a right to, you know, control what goes on with their kid. That's a general principle that most people agree with. Now, there are, there are extremes, like you're not allowed to abuse your kid. You know, the state has an interest in protecting kids. Uh, so a parent doesn't have ultimate dominion and control over their kids. So that's, that's what I mean, dominion and control over this is my kid. I, uh, but you can't have complete control because there's abuse and you, you know, people, parents can't uh, have uh, sexually abuse their kids. They can't physically abuse their kids. None of which is what we're talking about. And, and I, I know that, but I'm just saying there's the general principle that parents have a, a, a very high okay. amount of dominion and control of their kids. Now, that's, let's let's that's not what we're talking about. I know that. So I know that. Now we're getting to the... to the point of religion. Now, I agree with you 
that you as the parent, so long as that child is under your household and that child's a minor and that child's staying with you, you, you get to control what Again, they again this is, you keep using, this is why I keep pushing back on you, Tammy. And it's why I've kept cutting you off. Mm-hmm. It's not about control. I don't have a problem with my daughter eventually learning whatever her grandparents uh, have in mind. What I will not permit, let me finish. What I will not permit is early indoctrination. Right. Okay. So you're controlling that. You're exercising. uh, What I am, what I'm doing is preventing indoctrination. What is indoctrination? Well, it's, it's, what is indoctrination? Indoctrination is instilling a certain um, information into a, a person so that they believe it. That's what indoctrination well, it, is. Well, indoctrination is is teaching someone something without critical review. Okay, but and and so that's it what is all parents possible. do initially. I mean, um, what do you mean? Okay, look, you don't. A, a good parent doesn't say to your to their kid, "Hey, kid." Um, I'm not going to teach you that there's this thing called good and you really, you know, good and evil are on the same plane and Hey, which do you like best? No, you indoctrinate your kid that good is what you want to do. Not evil. So, I mean, let's not pretend. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't go creating a vocabulary for me. Okay. Why not? (laughs) Why will I not let you and why should you not create a vocabulary for me? Because if we're going to have a reasonable conversation, I'm not finished. If we're going to have a reasonable conversation where both people are equally heard, then you can't put words in my mouth. I'm talking good and evil, Andrew. I'm not. Those aren't aren't words that I generally use. Okay. That's why I said don't create a vocabulary for me. Okay, well, for most of your life, you use them. You went to seminary, okay? So good, bad, whatever. Ethics, lack of ethics. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Good and evil are words that, that when used in that kind of phraseology, good and evil, largely important religious contexts. Why are objecting to them? Is there anything? And in fact, any- and in fact, you tied it to seminary. You said you used these words in the past because you went to seminary. That is exactly the language. Do you not think that there's anything that's evil? Is it uh, atheist? No, I don't Which- think that there's. I don't think that there's anything that is promoted by a devil. No, I'm not saying promoted by a devil. Forget the devil. Is there anything that you will call well, out? Forget the word evil. No, let's just and call, we can it, have let's a call it. No, I'm not going to call it what you want. What do you want to call it? Well, there are things that are harmful. There are things that are destructive. There are things that are antisocial. Uh, there are things that uh, that are painful. There are all kinds of things, and lumping it all together and yes, they're all kind of and lumping it all together in some word called evil that has a largely religious set of baggage. But you know what? Evil, evil packs a big wallop as opposed to uh, harmful, uh, 
Yeah, it's just a little anti-social. You know what? You know what? Evil, you know what God look it gives to me is you're a religious nut. Now, I'm not a religious nut. I'm not the one that. <laughs> Wait a minute, it's the wallop that I'm talking about. This no. thing that you, this thing that you want okay. the word evil to do, does it for you, not for no. me? That's been the for point. example, that's why I will okay. create. Okay, I'm going to step. I'm going to step in right here because I don't mind uh, vigorous conversation and argumentation. But I think this uh, went awry when Tay was trying to make a point and didn't get her whole, whole point out. And so I want to hear. Teddy, if you can go back to your original yeah. point, let's let's get that out, and then we can we can talk about why it's point you know, about what... the whole grandparents thing. And now, so so let's get to the grandparents thing because it, I mean it's an interesting issue, and and I I don't know what the right answer is, but it's an interesting thing to to kind of tangle with. Um, and and it and goes you started to here with being good shape. And it get the what? And you started here with being concerned. Well, I know, but you wouldn't let me get it out. Um, because you anyway, so yeah, let's let's for, let's focus on Teddy getting her argument out. Okay, Thanks. so for for grand for your grand for the grandparents, for any Christian who truly believes in heaven and he, if you're a Christian, if you're a genuine Christian, then you believe in heaven and hell. Uh, you know, okay. I guess there's some of them that think, oh, it's just, uh, you know, not real or whatever. But if you truly believe in hell and if in, you know, any Christian that has any sense, OK, maybe it's all figurative language. But who is going to take the chance that it is not given how extreme the don't, language is and given, and given that it is you know, a lake of fire and that it is, you know, forever. Okay. And, and all that. So if you realize that that is a real possibility, if you see your grandbaby that you love and you have a choice of either and you believe this with all of your I heart, and it is no, no, no. Wait, bup, 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 bup. okay. You're always big on. Oh, wait, I'm talking. Okay, I'm gonna do that now. All right. Well, I'm talking. If it's between, get done so that I can finish this up. Okay. Well, see, I'm. She's on the other foot now. You, right. you are replying to me, so if you okay, but just hold on, up. I can't get my point out. A Andrew, we need we need to let Teddy get her point out because she really All hasn't right. had a chance to finish a full thought. So, I disagree. Yeah. Well, you you keep doing the what you yeah. keep accusing me. We're of. grandparents. So my point is is that. If people really believe that, then the choice before them is, am I going to respect my son or my son-in-law's wishes to do what they want with their grand, with, with their child? Is that more important than saving my grandbaby from hell? Well, I mean, that's really kind of a no-brainer if you ask me. When you put those two choices for somebody, if they really believe what they believe, that's a no brainer. Now, how many people really believe what they believe? And many Christians don't 
put their money where their mouth is, or a lot of times they don't even really truly think of things in these terms. And one of the things that, um, and I must commend Matthew, your family that you grew up in doing missionary work. Um, I remember in college, I went to, uh, with my roommate to a, a church service where it was the non-denominational church service and the preacher made a comment about missionary work. And he said, when people really believe in what we're saying and what is going to happen from what we see to non-believers, it creates a zeal to save your fellow man if you care for them, if you take to heart what the message is in the New Testament to love your neighbor as yourself then it creates in you this wanting to protect others, to spread that word. And especially if it is your family, if it is your friends, you will want to do that. And, and it is, Andrew, going to trump your they're respect. I mean, it doesn't mean that they don't respect you and you as a parent and your girlfriend is the child's parent, but there is something even more important at stake. Their, their grandbaby burning in hell is more important than respecting you and your having your child uh, not being exposed to God protecting their baby from the fires of hell, if that is in fact what hell is, they're not gonna take that chance. And so you need to, to think in terms of things from their perspective and that that is real to them as if you really ever truly internalize that you say you were Christian, if you ever really deeply were a Christian, then you should understand what that felt like in terms of understanding hell and heaven. And if you really cannot internalize that, and if you really cannot put yourself in their shoes to understand the angst that they must feel for their grandbaby that they love, I'm, I'm going to pop in right there. I'm going to, I'm going to pop in just as a buffer between Teddy and Andrew right now. Andrew, you'll have the next um, piece of this. But this is um, uh, just a show note. This is where um, the show is always going to end up, no matter how we wound uh, around getting here. So that said, I'm, I'm prepared for this next piece. And I just want to say that I... Um, Teddy, I understand where you're coming from. I think everybody on the panel understands where you're coming from because we have been there. Uh, I actually think it's one of the worst things about um, Christian evangelism. Uh, I recommend um, the Poisonwood Bible as a, just a fantastic book. 
um, to to illustrate this. It's a work of fiction, but it's uh, freaking fantastic. Um, no matter which side of the religious debate you're on. Um, so uh, I just wanted to give Andrew a, a little little bit of a <clears throat> buffer before I uh, let him go on this. And I also wanted to get a chance to come in and say, uh, Teddy, this this expression that you are making, while heartfelt and true, is exactly why the debate is so fervent in the US. This is this is exactly why it is and why uh, someone like Matt might be there thinking, oh, these people are crazy. Nobody, no, this would never, this would never happen here. No one would, but, but Matt, I promise this is the air that we breathe, whether you are in a religious house or not. And it is the air that says the religious person has a greater right somehow because they feel very deeply about this thing and their conscience would be harmed. It's, it's the debate. It's the same debate that says that a, a clerk uh, a county clerk has to issue a marriage license to gay people and the the clerk saying, no, I won't do it and going to court and winning because it would hurt her conscience. It's the same debate uh, that uh, back in uh, Jim Crow days when a person said, I will not let black people in my restaurant to eat with white people equally because I think that's an unconscionable, unconscionable mixing. It is the same debate that has gone back a long ways in this country that says the religious conscience is the most important thing and trumps everything. And that's and that's where we live right now. And that is the argument that Teddy is <clears throat> making. And I don't uh, I don't know that she has thought about it in that way but that is that is, that is the thing question is what is true and I, what it don't is no it's not actually the most important question it is it, it, no it's not <laughs> it's it's the religious it so i'm gonna i'm gonna hand it over to you uh, andrew but i just wanted to point this out this is this is in fact the debate listener that you are hearing so when you see people on the board saying oh no this is you're just talking about a fringe of religion no we're not this is this is the matrix that we live in in this country this is not the fringe the fringe is when you can live your life without this um as a as a part of it and so uh andrew uh teddy has laid down the idea that the religious conscience the religious view of reality is in fact the most important thing and it trumps your rights as a parent um I'm sure that you have something very measured say to say. That. I said within the family and to understand where they're coming from. I'm yeah, not I think, saying- I think, I think we I'm heard it. I understand where they're coming from, but it- I'm not it's, saying it, the government it's, should it's, infringe upon Andrew's just, rights. So just wait. Can I just flag up? I've got 10 minutes before- Okay, Andrew, let me, uh, let me ask you to yield uh, just a moment longer to Matt because he's got uh, he's got a limited time before he has to go, but I promise you'll yeah, get a right chance to respond fully. Andrew, I just wanted to flag up. I've got 10 minutes to let Andrew um, have to say. Matthew, if you've got something you want to say. No, 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 no. Okay. You, you say right. your thing. All right, here, here we go then. It won't take long. First of all, 
all of that diatribe, sorry, Katie, I'm not trying to uh, poke you. Don't but all of, I'm not concerned. Uh, all, of, all of that diatribe about how deeply they are convinced about the existence of hell. It's exactly why I kept pushing back on you about the word indoctrination and not control. And that is the exact reason that I would not subject a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, those kinds of views. I don't care. I don't care how convinced you are that hell exists. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you're her grandparents. Get away from the maybe, word indoctrination. Maybe, maybe, the the guy that, maybe the truth. guy that maybe the but guy that true. preaches at the Islam temple down the road feels equally well like three-year-old girls ought to be told about Allah in their proper place in the world. That's why truth has to be debated. Well, or that's what, what we're doing. Truth? And indoctrination is not a debate. And that is why I would not let you cast my position as control. Because when you want, and this is Christian doctrine down to the ground, train up a child when he is old, he won't depart. No way. No way in hell. Not going to happen. You want to teach my child and you think you've got truth? Then you can break out the tools that help us evaluate truth, but you can't teach her about hell when she's two. I don't. And I don't care how convinced you are. I don't care how convinced. Are they trying to teach her about hell or are they just trying to pray? Sunday school is. I know, but they're trying to teach. If you know, then you know the answer to the question. When there's a prayer. I mean, come on. Dave Pegg, Dave Pegg, a former guest on this show, believes that his uh, seven or maybe it was eight-year-old child was subject to uh, going to hell. Um, you come on. He has I been he has been teaching people. his child. This is a Brit uh, who's in the British school system. He's been teaching his child about this for some time. Teddy, I understand that the Greek or, or Greek Orthodox does not have a focus on this, and so I'm there could be it. some there could. Have- yeah, there could be some cultural, some cultural uh, dissonance right here, but Teddy, you have to you have to understand that the people who are so afraid of hell today are the people who are indoctrinated uh, in exactly the way that Andrew is talking about right up, now. I grew up going from kindergarten to second grade. I was at a Lutheran school where we were going to chapel once a week and getting. Bible study. So I was getting uh, some Lutheran education and then from fourth and fifth grade at a Baptist. When did you hear about hell? When's the first time you I, heard I don't, about hell? I don't know that I can. That's the, that's the, the, that's the point. I, you don't, nobody that. knows. You've I've always, always exactly, because it's, it's a part, important. it's a part of the environment. It's a part of the air that be. we breathe here. I think it should be because it, it's, I don't care. I believe that it's it's important. I I I think that that humans, in order to bring about good behavior, it's important to know that punishment is a possibility. Teddy, do you believe wait, that wait, parents? Wait, do you believe wait, that? Wait, do you believe that? Punishment are not synonymous. 
Yeah. What? Do you, do you, Hell yeah. and punishment are not synonymous. Sure they are. No, they're not. Do you, do you believe that legally yeah. speaking that children, that all children should uh, know about hell, uh, that all parents should teach their children about uh, so that they don't go to yes. hell. I mean, yes. How would how would that happen? Would there be like Where's a state priest? What? Wait. Yeah. Should do you all children know about hell? Yeah. Do you believe sure. that? Do you believe that that should? Sh well, should sure. it be enshrined in a law? Because what um, you're saying is essentially that hear about hell? if a if a child doesn't hear about it, like it's a bad parent. And that you should you should override that parent's judgment to make sure that that child has the appropriate knowledge. Now, if you think that, then what you have to think is that the state should accommodate that somehow. I know, well, but but at what age? Two years is two years old too young. And when do you are, are you talking you about the government children about how, I don't care where you take. It. I, 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 I don't think, care whether you I think it's fine as soon as a child is early is early as a child is able to understand things like concepts like God, um, I think it, it's perfect. So Matt, Matthew is about to burst out of his skin here. Go yeah, ahead, go I, ahead, Matt. <laughs> I, I'd like to take this, it's on the, um, it's on the tangent of uh, discipline and is the one thing that I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to come up tonight. So typical me, I'm bringing it up with five minutes ago. Uh, but quickly before I get that, I'd want to echo something that you said earlier, David, about the um, this enthusiasm with which, which Christians want to put out their message and the way that that butts up against other people uh, and, and their rights. And I want to absolutely endorse that because that uh, occurred to, to me as well. You know, that's, that is probably one of the biggest motivating driving factors of, of Christians and uh, in the work they do and certainly motivates missionaries. But it is also the biggest poison of the effect of Christianity. And I don't see the missionary heritage uh, that's in my family history as a good thing at all uh, because of the damage that it did to local heritage and indigenous cultures. I think that's a terrible, terrible price that uh, countries that missionaries went to paid for having this religion foisted uh, on them by, by well-meaning, superior-feeling white people. And I think it's horrible. The missionary school that I went to, every single teacher that I had, every single person who was in control was white. And every person who did subservient work was black. This is the legacy of Christian missionary work. And I utterly, utterly detest it with a passion. But that's not what I wanted to say. What I wanted to point out was um, discipline and discipline of children and in the context of doing that in a faith and in the Christianity that I grew up with there was this concept of when God was making you first he had to break you and people would come into prayer meetings and they'd be worried about something and they'd be often on the verge of depression about something because they didn't think they were good enough about something and they would come to these prayer meetings emotional and psychological wrecks you know and they'd sob their heart out and they'd have some form of rudimentary amateurish uh, counseling in this this prayer meeting certainly not what they really needed 
and the when they would be giving their testimony months later about all this they describe it in the concept of god had to let me get to my lowest before he could rebuild me he had to break me down so that he could remold me into what was and this whole concept of god either making you become the lowest and the most broken person you could be or letting you become the lowest most broken person you could be before he could make something nice out of you and that's mentality and acceptance of the way that god treats us carries in to parenthood in the way that parents treat children and i confess i had this kind of attitude in the early days of my parenthood and i am really really thankful that my daughter was too young to be a victim of this kind of behavior by the time that i had um, deconstructed because that's an utterly awful and terrible parenting strategy to take you no know, children should not be treated like clay vases that you break up and re re-smelt and make into something else clay is probably the wrong uh, material to use in that example but you, you get what i'm saying children should not be treated like that that is an absolutely terrible way and terrible attitude with which to hold children and the fact that we that we that christians accept this and, uh, and put this kind of um, mental anguish as a just God treats them in, in a loving way is simply despicable and I don't get any of it and I look at it and I weep for the emotional strength of people who are going through this because there are better ways to be treated and they keep going back to churches for more of this awful awful psychological torture and then people do this to children and Words fail me to express the contempt with which I hold that kind of treatment of children. And that is the burning thing that I wanted to bring into this conversation. This is the thing that I see as the biggest difficulty with religion and parenthood, which I really wanted to bring out and to emphasize in this conversation. So there it is. Thank you. There is an ethical bankruptcy in saying that we should be able to debate about true things and to on the back of that suggest that you should be able to teach whatever you want to a one or two or three or four year old teaching a four-year-old is not a debate and it is ethically bankrupt to suggest that debating about the nature of the universe is equivalent to teaching a four-year-old it's not. Yes, a debate only happens. A debate only happens between two people of broadly equal skill and broadly equal knowledge. That's why I said that parents exercise dominion and control for the most part over their children. And they do indoctrinate their kids because they are in charge of what's going into those skulls full of mush and they whatever their beliefs are they usually you know push them into their children and you know many parents can uh let their kids think what they want but but christians can't i don't no, that, that's not true that's that's not true but the thing is, is but you just offended, sorry, Teddy, but you just offended my daughter's grandparents. I'm what I'm saying is, is that if you've got a, a Christian that is going to say, okay, well, you're making your decision, it 
they're going to probably hope that the person's old enough, but that doesn't mean that they're still not going to try. I mean, ultimately, you can't force people to do things. And there's a certain point to where a person's free will is their free will. And in, in sometimes, honestly, if you want to get really down to the nitty gritty, it depends on how much you care about them. I have no idea how what you just said relates to what we're talking about. So, I'm not being ugly. If I had a grandbaby that was, if I were your parents, you know, I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't be, you know, I'd be, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You'd be on the outs. <laughs> are, are, uh, would you? Are you? Are you? Sorry, uh, Teddy. Are you just as open to the idea of, um, let's say, the grandparents are uh, scientists, uh, atheists, and scientists, and uh, they teach your child that the earth was not created in seven days and we have no evidence at all that it was uh, designed uh, intelligently by any intelligent force uh would would you be okay with them holding that truth to be so important that that they would uh teach your child that despite the fact that you don't want them to teach your child that are, are you are you okay with that? I think that the Bible it doesn't tell you the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts. Just that's a yes or yeah, no question. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Okay, so you're you're at least consistent that you're okay with with people teaching your children things that you specifically don't want taught to your children. I'm. When have I been anti-science? Okay, but well, okay, but whatever their truth is that you may that you may disagree with. Um, I'm not into science. Okay, well, what if what if Bible isn't either? The Bible is not science. That's fine, but Teddy, I don't think you're I don't think you're engaging with the spirit of the question. So let me make it more pointed. If they taught your child there is no God, there is no hell, and that all of this is a fairy tale, and who taught? If who taught? Well, someone, someone close to you in your life, a parent, say, or um, aunt, or someone who's looking after your children, uh, and they taught your child every time that they um, had access to your child that there is no God and there is no hell and the devil and angels are all fairy tales. Would you be okay with that? I, what I would be, I, no, I mean, I would not be crazy about it, but my job. Would you allow it? Actually, you know what? Here's the biggest thing. I'm going to believe whatever you say, you know but what? I would you like a yes or no. What? Would you allow as I it? Think, as I think about it, actually, as I think about it, my answer is going to be yes, I will allow it. And let me tell you why. And this, and this is a well thought out answer in you know two seconds. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, but the reason why that's the right answer is because you know what? Kids are going to be encountering this kind of information all the time. Kids, it's not just when they're little. I mean, look at look at y'all. Y'all were much um, older and y'all had, had been growing up in Christianity. That, that's fine. I was I was just I was just checking to see if you were being my consistent. Point is, my point is is that what a parent's job is is to try to 
um, perhaps give the best arguments and instill the best and strongest arguments in their child from an early age. And that is the reason why, and you know what? Teddy has not brought this up in four. What, do you what would you most argument to a the shroud in science? What would you mean <laughs> give the best argument to a four-year-old? Okay, but no, the, wait, no, no, don't, don't gonna, judge this. Yeah. What do you mean give the best argument? It, Okay, a four-year-old, four you just present different opinions, okay? Um, and, and some of those opinions, do you agree that, no. that people that are important to a four-year-old, their opinions matter more without respect to whether the proposition is true, that four-year-olds are subject to authority bias, and that's why we should be careful? Do you think that's a thing? I will agree with you there, Andrew. I will agree. I will agree. So uh, as as we are getting ready to lose Matthew, I would like to have his um, issue uh, addressed a little bit so that he can kind of hear um, <laughs> what he's missing. Um, discipline, it's it's on the list. I I wasn't actually going to bring it up because it's it's such a difficult uh, issue. I don't believe in punishment. So I've said that uh, a number of times. I think I'm, I left it dangling in the, in the write-up, and I think I'll leave it dangling here too. I, uh, and I think that many people associate discipline and punishment as being synonymous. Uh, and so that's, that's not a thing that I believe in, which is to say, you've done a bad thing, so I'm going to do a bad thing to you to teach you a lesson or just to instill some sense of justice. Because even if it doesn't teach you a lesson, you did a bad thing, a bad thing has to happen to you. I don't believe in that at all. Retributive uh, punishment just doesn't make any sense to me, especially when you're doing it to a small child who honestly doesn't understand. It's like beating a dog for pooping in the house. The dog has yeah, no true. idea why the hell you're beating him. And that is that if you want a dog to not poop in the house, that ain't the way to do it. I, I promise. Usually they don't so, associate it because they don't get the punishment immediately. Yeah, but no, look, no, sorry. Immediately has nothing to do with this in this. So I don't want to get I don't want to get drawn off there, but I'm just trying to explain the kind of retributive punishment that doesn't make any sense, doesn't make any sense in animals, doesn't make any sense in kids either. So that said, um, what does make sense when it comes to discipline? Uh, I will just offer this brief thing in a foster parenting class because you have to go through several modules, several weeks, months, actually, before you're qualified, at least in most states, I think. Uh, it's a state-by-state -state thing. Uh, but in the uh, in this discipline module, there were things that we were taught that we could never do, even if you did it with your own kids. You can't do it with a foster kid or else you would go to jail. Uh, so you can't, you can't use physical punishment. Can't do it. Sorry. Um, whether the state has laws about spanking or not is irrelevant. You spank a foster kid uh, and they find out about it, you're jailed. Um, but what you could do and what you needed to do was physically restrain your child from time to time. Because as I mentioned, children in the system are often damaged in many interesting ways. And they can be violent and dangerous, not to just to themselves, but to you and to other people around you. You have to learn how to physically restrain without uh, creating a violent or 
dangerous act. And so there's a maneuver for that. We all had to learn it. Uh, that is not the same thing as a beating, a spanking, a whipping, uh, or, or something like that. And so I am just, uh, curious to get a quick round Robin, uh, 10 seconds each starting with, uh, Matt who can have 30, uh, <laughs> your, your, your thoughts on discipline go. We have a five month old rescue puppy at home and through the charity that we got that puppy, we got a list of things on how to get the best behavior out of your puppy. And they say exactly what you've just said, David, do not respond angrily or violently to any negative behavior full stop big no reward good behavior ignore bad they'll soon learn that if they do that they get nothing because any kind of response is a response that can be responded to so do not give them that they do something bad they try to climb the counter just ignore it or if they're in danger you move them but you make the behavior unrewarding that's the key. And then when they do something good, like both feet on the floor or whatever, yay, hooray, good dog, here's a treat. So they learn both all four feet on the floor, they might get something. If they're trying to counter surf, they won't get anything. And it works exactly the same with children. Believe it or not, wow. Who said, you know, mammals, similar behavior. Wow, what a trauma. So, yeah. You can even use the same dog treat because uh, it's probably better. <laughs> you, probably, <laughs> you probably can. Yes, you know, you beat children, all, you're gonna, all they're going to learn is violence begets violence. If you want to get the way that you want, you use violence. That's what they're going to learn if you use that kind of... Uh, response so that's really all i gotta say uh andrew discipline i have never found a reason to hit a child that was a good enough reason to actually do the american association uh sorry the american academy of pediatricians as they do every year to release study after study of the harm that comes from hitting children. This year, it was a, uh, uh, sorry, 2020, not 2021, it's my apologies. 2020, same information. There is no hitting a child that is a good hit. It's that. And to go along with that, there is no good age at which it is reasonable to teach someone that there's someone out there with a flamethrower that'll use it on them forever if they do something wrong. Well, right. So I think there's a certain a psychological um, equivalent to hitting, right? So you can, you can um, inflict a psychological hit on someone just just with your words or your demeanor, you can uh, sure. scare them, uh, create uh, create shock and anxiety and fear. And sometimes that's worse uh, than the hit. Uh, I know that when I was a, when I was a foster parent, we had those very, very clear instructions. And I can see why some parents might want to smack their child. But I can tell you, I never did. I never wanted to. It wasn't so of all of the ways that I was broken, that wasn't one of them. Uh, I, when, when my child was having a tantrum. Now, 
uh, I was embarrassed, <laughs> which is really the wrong reaction because it's not about me. It's about my child. And here I am thinking about how this is making me look, um, which saying that just makes me look worse. And now I feel even worse. But, um, you know, I want I felt for my child in his mental anguish. I, I wanted to give him a big hug, but that's actually kind of a no, no, too. Um, I, um, I, I was torn apart when my child was screaming and raging and unconsolable. At no point did I ever want to raise a hand um, in anger and create some kind of punishment uh, for that. Now, you could ask me what I did do, what we did do on that stuff, and I would just say I'm not going to tell you because it's not important. But um, it's I can I can tell you all of the things that I didn't do and all of the ways that I didn't feel, and I think that's the one thing I'm proud of in my time as a foster parent because I was raised in a home where violence was uh, acceptable punishment. And I say this about my parents who might one day hear this podcast, sorry. Uh, but, you know, I, I grew up in the South during a certain time where, you know, it wasn't just spankings. Nobody spanked anybody. It was belt whippings and, you know, paddlings and switches and uh, things like that. Um, I grew up in I grew up in that environment. And there's no part of me that ever wanted to pass that on. I, I never want it for a moment my child to be afraid of me because of something they were doing. Teddy, discipline. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. Um, I believe in discipline and I think discipline and punishment are pretty much interchangeable in my world. Um, In terms of physical punishment, corporal punishment, I, generally speaking, I think that that is something that should be used as a last resort. Uh, With very young children that do not understand where you cannot reason with them. And when they're doing something dangerous, for example, when my son was very, very young, uh, he was still in diapers. We had a a chair that he used to love to jump on. Well, in law school, they, you know, drill in your head about trampolines and how everybody, you know, winds up as a paraplegic from from neck injuries. And so uh, he would jump on it and I'd get him off of that and, and he'd just go straight back and it was just constant back and forth. So at first I would just, you know, he wouldn't stop. And I would just kind of swat him on the behind a little bit. He'd just go right back to it. And then I'd, you know, a little bit harder, a little bit harder, you know, and then, you know, good. And he'd just still go back. (laughs) And, oh, somebody's at the door. And so he, he would just keep doing it. And then finally, I got like a little cheese board, like a little wooden paddle. And of course, this is on a diaper behind. But the motivation is safety. He, he's not understanding. And, but even that, he still kept going and he would have this little 
you know, twinkle in his eye, like, I'm going to go do it. You know, I'm you know, just going to be obstinate and uh, oppositional. But then finally, it got to the point where I felt like, you know, he's still a little kid. You know, I don't want to go any firmer because I certainly don't want to leave any type of a red mark or anything. Um, and I, I finally realized, okay, this isn't curbing the behavior. I don't want to do this just to do it. So I stopped. So, you know, I, I had to figure out some other way. I don't even remember what that was, but I was like, okay, you know, this, this is pointless. But I do think that when you, you've got a child that is that small and is not responding and they're doing something that can be dangerous or harmful to them, uh, I'm, I'm okay with, with physical punishment. Um, I, like I said, I think it's, it's something of last resort. Um, I'm not crazy about it. With, with older kids, I think that usually you can, there are other means of punishment that are uh, you know, just as effective as, as physical punishment. So, uh, but I, th I think that a lot of, there's some people that are very motivated towards rewards and some people that are more motivated towards escaping punishment. For example, with me, I'm not as motivated towards the gaining of rewards, but if you tell me that, hey, if I don't do something, something, you know, I'm gonna have some sort of negative consequence, woo, that'll really get my attention. As right. opposed to, I think like, I think hey, that's true. You can win this prize. I've never been one of those like, hey. I, actually, I think that's true. Of most people, Teddy. I think um, if if the motivation is not, you know, if you run real fast, you'll get a million dollars. The motivation is there's a barrier behind you. <laughs> uh, which one is going to get the person running faster? It's not the million dollars. It's the bear. So. I get so I get I get what you're saying. And if I had been a parent in my when I was 18, 19, 20, I would have probably done the same thing that my parents did. But there was enough time between the time that I became a parent and the time that I was a child that I uh, had some perspective by then. Uh, so I'm not uh, I don't want to uh, to sound judgmental. Uh, toward what you're saying because I understand it but I would I would just say that anytime physical punishment is in the equation uh kids whether they're boys or girls uh they toughen up real fast and so punishment is a little bit like a fine for a speeder um they they have a fast car they want to go fast how much will it cost me to go fast on this road? And it's just a fee at that point. Uh, they charge you $500 for speeding ticket. Great. I've got $500. I'm going to uh, open it up to 120 and I'm going to enjoy my afternoon. It's just a fee at that point. Um, I had a dog that I, uh, I learned this on, um, I, I would like to say when I was very young, but it was I was actually old enough to know better. I had uh, got one of those electric fences, put a shot collar, because it kept jumping uh, over the fence. Unbelievable, the athleticism of this dog. And it got to a point where you could just see the dog. You, you, He knows he's got a shot collar on. He knows that when he crosses this barrier, it's going to give him a painful shock, and he would pay the price up front 
and then jump and run. And he would, he was just that, okay, that's the fee. Got it. You can, kids will toughen up to any physical punishment so that you have to keep increasing it. And so if you're thinking, well, I'll go this far, no further, there's no such thing because they can, they can deal with as far as you want to go. But it depends on the kid. For example, um, I mean, I was such an easygoing kid. Uh, the Greeks, there's an expression, and they call it, you know, they say, oh, that person's like soft bread. They're just so easy. <laughs> and my mom would always say that about me. Um, but the one thing that I, you know, was a little problematic with is sometimes I'd have a little bit of a smart mouth. And so sometimes I might. I can't imagine, off. Teddy. I can't imagine. So sometimes I might pop off and say, like in the teenage years, and say something a little smart alecky. Hmm. And I'm having I trouble remember, picturing it. You no. Know, okay. And so I remember, and actually it may have been in the preteen years, my best friend, she had just learned the word shut up. Which of course then I learned from her. And so my mom was getting on my case about doing something. And well, and that was the other thing I'd sometimes get into trouble for, like she would tell me to do something and I was engaged in doing something and I wouldn't respond immediately. And so I might get into trouble. Those are the two things that I might get in trouble for. But anyway, so, so she was getting on my case probably because I wasn't responding to her immediately about doing some chore or whatever. And, um, and so I responded for whatever reason to something trying to use my new word. And I told my mother, and this was actually pretty out of character for me to say something like this, but I just heard my friend say it. And I told my mother to shut up. My mother came at me like a puma <laughs> getting ready to attack in an inch of me saying you better never say that word again you know it, it just but you know and in the past on a few occasions now I don't remember getting a slap in the face or maybe I did I can't remember I don't think I did on that occasion but there have been a few occasions where if I said something smart alecky where I'd get a nice slap in the face for it with the admonition from my mother next time you better think before you speak now it's not nice getting a slap in the face but you know what nor is it illegal to, in most places, I would think. I have to admit, well, back then it certainly was. We came from the um, same era, yeah. uh, all, all three of us on here, in fact. I'm not sure nowadays, it yeah. probably depends on where you're at and if it would leave a mark and stuff like that. But 
Um, but I will say that that slap in the face and the admonition was a very good life lesson because I always did learn to be very cautious and to measure my words and to think before I speak. And I see a lot of people around me that really could have used that slap in the face when they were kids from their mamas um, to perhaps learn to think before they speak when they say things to other people to be Teddy, more Teddy, I believe you that you can manipulate. There's no other way do you think that there's no other way to teach children to moderate the things that they say other than their other than their mothers slapping them in the face? Because I certainly remember learning harsh childhood lessons that didn't require my parents hitting me. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I never learned a lesson from hitting. Um, and I I got plenty of that but that's those aren't the things that I learned from and those weren't the the quote-unquote punishments slash responses from my parents that I was afraid of uh, so I might I might talk about the things that I was really afraid of but I can tell you when you get when you get uh, a whipping one or two or three times a week with a belt you tough you can you can you just okay you think that is I a can, good week. that's the fee uh, I want to do this thing. That's the fee. I'm now big enough and tough enough. I can do it and I'll pay the fee. Hey, um, you remember my brother, I guess. Or, yeah, I I've never but, actually met your uh, psychopathic brother. Is that the one you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the only one. But By the way, if he's only... listening to the podcast, I'm sorry I called you a psychopath. Please don't kill me. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the thing that. Um, what you're saying there resonates with me that, you know, the escalation of violence uh, resonates with me because um, my brother was still living at home um, past 18 before he went into the military. And uh, dad was a corporal punishment guy, you know, prior Navy, yada, yada, yada. Um, and before my brother finally moved out for good, their physical confrontations devolved into fist fights. Did you say fist fights? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and the the most the most prominent of which um, was out in the front yard. David, you'll remember the house out in the front yard for the neighbors to see. I don't know if any neighbors saw it. I'm not I'm not making any claims that they did it, but it it started inside. It moved outside to the backyard, came around the house into the front. I mean, this was, I don't want to say it lasted long, but I hope if you're listening to this, you and you only take one piece of advice. Don't let your fights with your children turn into a contest of who's bigger and bad. That's not a parent. That's a bully. And if your child is not safe, you know, hitting them doesn't make them safe. So this, Sorry, go ahead. Well, that was that was a thing that I wanted to uh, highlight. So I'm glad that you got there. Is the justification is often 
I got to do this bad thing to you to keep something worse from happening to you. And generally the worst thing that happens in that kid's life is you doing the bad thing to them. But it's, it's, if I don't do this bad thing now, you'll, you'll grow into something where a worse thing is done later. And I do think since we're, since we've taken off the theological gloves, that a lot of this comes from religion uh, because God, God is, God is going to do this ultimate bad thing or this bad thing called hell is going to happen to you. And while you're burning in hell, you're going to wish that somebody had beat you up a little bit uh, because maybe that would have avoided this spot. This is kind of a justification for a lot of the early child abuse uh, that that happened uh, earlier in the century. And that happened in the church quite a lot. It was extremely prevalent in Christian families in particular. And this this justification is, um, you know, if you love your child, you've got to beat them. You've got, you've, you've really, you can't, you can't spare the rod uh, with them because a worse thing is going to happen to them if you don't. So if you don't do it, God is going to do it because they're not going to, they're not going to learn their lessons. This is the kind of Christian God. I mean, why does it have to be a family member? You know, uh, is, is Islam correct? Is Buddhism correct? Um, and, and which version of Christianity? Which God and which hell? I mean, uh, the very fact that, that somebody close to you might tell you about hell doesn't at all indicate that it's the right version of hell or that they know what they're talking about. So, so do we really have to open our children up to anybody that wants to, to make some... The fact that it's a loving member of the family gets you nowhere. It yeah, gets I don't, you nowhere. And I don't I don't want to lose the thread here. It's this idea that if if you just hit your child or you know burn your child with an iron or do whatever it takes to your child today, that that will save your child from something worse tomorrow. You are, you are on a downward spiral. And the reason is there's always something worse down the road. There's, al- there's always something worse. And so you can justify any amount of abuse with that reasoning. You are, you are never going to abuse your child so bad that it's, that it's worse than the worst thing that you can imagine in your mind. And that's, that's, not, a, that's not a thing... Uh, that's going to ever end well and it's why this kind of punishment has been outlawed by and large everywhere and so when you talk about you know in your story teddy once again i'm not i'm not actually this is a lot less judgmental than it sounds uh uh, so when you were when you were talking about us you know you started off you know spanking the child in in diapers by the way they don't understand but you you okay I, the swat with a hand and then it gets harder and then it gets harder and then you get a a, a cheese board and you know what's what's well, next on the list that. how far does it go before well, but you realize but you know, like i said once it he was not responding you know so the cheese well but there was right but there was out. an escalating Point, and huh. then you had enough you had enough governing in your own system to say okay i have to stop because this isn't working um what i'm saying is you have 
you have to do that anyway. You have to stop because it's never going to work. Ultimately, you can physically manipulate your kids to behave a certain way, kind of, sort of, sometime, but that's only going to work when they think they're going to get caught. So all you're actually doing is teaching them how to hide that behavior from you. On a less obstinate child, it would have worked. It's just that- No, no, no. All you're doing is manipulating behavior. I can manipulate your behavior through various means of torture. I, I can turn you. Manipulate the but, behavior. My child here, is doing I can turn behavior. you into anything I want to, given uh, no conscience and unlimited means of torture. Uh, okay. Your child's doing something dangerous. But but the thing oh. is, there are there are other ways for me to at least try to get you to do. What so I what need you, you to do. Done with a child that doesn't understand language yet. Right. Well, hitting them, hitting them is the worst thing that you want to do well, to a child who I've doesn't done? understand language. What could I have done? Here's here's what I do, and I'm, here's what I do, and I wonder if this would have worked in your place because um, uh, while oppositional defiance disorder is not something diagnosed in uh, children that are two or three or whatever, um, we certainly can have children that are being obstinate, right? Without obstinacy, sure. without some sort of defiance. Mm-hmm. So uh, my daughter is, is occasionally quite stubborn. Dave's been on the phone a time or two when she's being stubborn. Um, I haven't had to hit her to get her to stop. Now, sometimes I have to, sometimes I have to move her, right? pick her up, move her away from the uh, Move her away from the stove. She wants to run back in the kitchen, pick her up, move her away. You know, we put a gate on the kitchen, right, uh, for a while. Um, so I'm just wondering, um, I mean, maybe if you lived next to a volcano, right? <laughs> but but um, was there some reason that that ongoing reinforcement couldn't work because it works for my kid? And I'm not saying that my child is your child. So, you know, this is not combative. Uh, at the moment, I can't guarantee that we'll get back there between us because this is what we do. Um, but is there some reason that reinforcement by moving the child wouldn't work? It just wasn't. I mean, I, I kept moving him away. He'd go right back. And, you know, and, and then and could you reposition the dangerous thing? Could the dangerous thing have been moved? I mean, it's a big chair in the living room. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, and it, you know, at that age, you're already moving around and changing so much yeah. of your house. It comes yeah. to a point where, you know, come on, I'm not going to just completely. Right. And this is, this everything. is where most parents would employ some type of timeout mechanism to put the child that, in a safe, okay, but to put so, the child in a safe place where there are no obstacles where they uh, can have have time to emotionally calm down i look i don't i don't i don't i'm not trying to assess the situation i don't want you to get defensive because like i said i wasn't being judgmental in the first place what but i do want to address briefly your question of well what would you do because it seemed to be um pardon me a bit of a petulant question suggesting well you know no one has any better solution than what i had well stow the petulance there are better solutions and i don't necessarily have them but i can tell you having gone through uh eight months of foster parenting training for types of situations like that there are other solutions there 
Um, and, and you better know that there have to be other solutions or else there would be no false parents because they'd be all in jail. They, they simply could not um, devolve to the solution of physical uh, violence in that situation. Uh, because every one of the kids in foster care are going to be doing a lot worse things than jumping from chairs. So um, I would I would simply uh, implore you right. that if I you're... don't mean jumping from chairs, I mean jumping continuously, okay. not just J- on jumping chair. on furniture. Great, great. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's like a I know what I know what jumping is. I, I get it. <laughs> they, they do it on it's beds. They some kids are jumpers. Um, I get it. Uh, oh, my daughter is. But, um, from a narrow but, chair, but, yeah, but, but what I'm what I'm telling you that yeah. your fear of their falling is not actually uh, neither legally nor I would say ethically an excuse for visiting violence on the child. Now, once again, I wasn't I wasn't there. This was a long time ago. You have had. Um, you know the influences that brought you to that moment i am i am honestly not judging you here teddy i'm just saying because it sounds like what you're saying is that's a good solution today that you recommend to other people and and this that's the thing that i'm addressing right now it is not a good solution today and there are things that we can do we have to think more creatively and more lovingly and recognize that that our fear of a bad thing is not a good excuse to then visit a bad thing um, on a Hey, on a what person. finally worked for, for your child? I'm, I'm sorry? I'm just curious. What I'm finally sorry. worked? What finally solved the problem? I don't, to be honest, I don't remember what fi- with the whole chair situation. You, you probably you know, just grew out of it. Something, something <laughs> happened and you move on. I remember, for example, yeah. with timeouts, my son wouldn't stay in timeout. So oh, I yeah. had to stay and hold him in timeout. Right. But well, then time the out problem, for him is timeout for you. But then, but then the problem was he liked me hovering over him <laughs> in timeout. So then that wasn't a punishment either. But that's so, the problem. It doesn't need to be a punishment. It was, it's a, that's was, why I don't believe in punishment. If, if you're hovering over him, <laughs> helped him calm down that's no, what you should do no. <laughs> what just, we do he like jerking me around that's around. what this kid does what we do with my two-year-old i mean look every child is different i didn't always believe that oh. right but every child is different so what we do with my uh with my two-year-old is um we take her chair you know she's got a little table and chair they're her size you know i'm sure yeah. you've had the same kind of thing yeah. And uh, and we take her chair and we sit it in the laundry room and we put her in the laundry room and close the door and start the timeout timer mm-hmm. because she has the same. Um, oh, look, mommy and daddy are both paying attention to me. That is exactly what I wanted. Right. So, uh, so we put her in the laundry room. But we did that. We did that for a while with putting him in his room where we had the little things over the doorknobs to where he couldn't open up the door. And so right. we started doing timeouts in his room because we realized that just putting him in the corner with me hovering over, he liked that. But then he started getting too big to where he could, his hands were big enough and he figured out how to, well, actually at one point he just started pulling the doorknob cover off the, the doorknob. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and, uh, so, I mean, it's just, 
Uh, Look, none, of, none of this stuff is easy, but when we start mixing in uh, philosophies from religions and ancient tribal thought in uh, bringing it into the modern day. So I don't, I'm not even all of that judgmental over the original tribal people who thought it was good advice to say, spare the rod, spoil the child. I'm, okay. That's not where I am today. And they wouldn't make it in our society at all. But we're in our society and they're in theirs. When you try to blend that kind of thinking with the modern day uh, understanding of the world that we have, that's where the problem uh, comes in for me. And I think this is part of the problem of religion, especially fundamentalist religion, because, you know, it's the it's the Jews and the Christians saying the God of the Old Testament really knew what he was doing. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Um, you know, it's it's the idea of saying, yeah, when uh, Paul told those women to be silent in church, he really knew what he was talking about. No, he didn't. Like uh, stop it. it. Stop it. And so uh, we live in 2021 at, uh, at the time of this um, recording. And I think both Andrew and I and uh, Matt when he was on and uh, even some Christians would say, look, as we understand the world better, uh, it, it may make more sense to let some of the biblical understandings of how best to do things go. But the more fundamentalist you are, the less you are able to do that. And you are trying to recreate this biblical idea, this first century uh, idea in the 21st century. And that just does not work. It is always bad. And this is one of the reasons why religion hanging on and trying to, to recreate itself and overlay itself on these modern times is, is dangerous, especially when it comes to child rearing, because almost everything the Bible had to say about child rearing is kind of awful. So I just offer this in, in the best possible version of friendship that we have, which is pretty good. Um, the defense that someone really believes that they should be able to teach a child something that is deeply committed to their heart that they can't convince other adults of, especially if the other adult is reasonable by the usual lights that we judge reasonable, is deeply and troublingly flawed. And I don't care whether we're talking about religion or science. I don't care whether we're talking about economics or politics. If you and I can't, if you and I can't agree on the truth of some proposition. That should give us the moment of pause to say, I shouldn't be trying to instill that in a child. And if, feel free to disagree with me, but if the listeners take any single message away from what I have said, that is it. I don't, I don't care what the subject is. If we can't come to a conclusion about it as rational adults, we certainly can't expect to make rational children. And I appreciate the fact that we got to, to chat as always. I look forward to getting to talk to you again. <laughs>
Same here, Andrew. Always a pleasure. Dave, that's all I got, man. Unless you got something uh, to say before I uh, before I hit the big X. Nope, not to that. No, right, it's uh, it's it's a descent into madness from this point on.